Hello, beautiful people, and welcome back to another episode of the Playmakers Corner podcast. I'm Gideon Engner, and I will be your host for today's episode, where we're going to go over 16 programs within the state, and these are programs that are from up in Fort Collins all the way down to Woodland Park and Manitou Springs. I'm going to be going over programs from 5A, 4A, 2A, and 1A. And I'll be going over their, a recap of last season, their most impactful graduating seniors, next year's expected top performers, and then we're going to go over their schedule as has been released at the point that I'm recording this, and discuss which games I think they're going to win and which games I think they're going to lose. Now, keep in mind, this is my first year doing the previews. Simon and Cody are much more experienced with this, but I figured it'd be good to give it a shot and see how my prediction skills go. Now, I am going to preface all of this with a disclaimer. With me going over 16 teams, each team having at least nine games this season, of course there are going to be things that I'm wrong about. I am glad to admit it, and if I predict that your, your team is going to have a bad record, I want you to prove me wrong. I want you to go out there and show me that I was wrong about you. However, I'm just going off of my deductive reasoning, looking at what you have, what you're going to retain, what you're losing, and what everyone you're going against has lost. I spent weeks going over this and making sure that I was as accurate as I could possibly be. If there's a mistake that I made, let me know. But just let me know in a calm and reasonable manner. In an ideal world, every team I'm going to be covering would make the playoffs and make a good run or send their seniors out on a high note, but I know that feasibly that's not possible. So, if I predict that your team isn't going to have the best record, go out there and prove me wrong on the field, and I'll take it on the chin. Now that we're done with that, we're going to move on to the first of the teams we're going to be covering today, which are the Fossil Ridge Sabercats. All right, so last year, Fossil Ridge went 9-3 and three in total, 1-1 one and one in the playoffs, all around 8-2 and two in the regular season. They opened the season with a win against eventual 4A state runner-up, uh, Loveland, 36-35. Uh, they lost to Grandview, 49-17, one against Brighton, 15-8, one against Windsor, 33-0, one against Arvada West, 50-14, one against Fort Collins, 46-21, one against Boulder, Rocky Mountain lost to Fairview, 42-26, one against Pooter and one against Mullen in the first round of the playoffs, and then lost to Regis Jesuit in the second round, 63-28. So Fossil Ridge entered the playoffs as the 10 seed, despite Lindenwood University commit Tyler Kubat being absent for most of the season with a broken collarbone. Uh, these guys were ultimately just professional scorers, only sco- only scoring less than 20 points once this season, which was a win over Brighton. Uh, they went 9-3, and three where Colton Pollack was their starting QB for most of the season. Uh, their ultimate statement win for me was that 38-6 route of Pooter to secure their spot as the Kings of the North and as a top-10 team in 5A. Um, they never fell below 500, again, despite their... FCS D1 quarterback breaking his collarbone midway through the season. Uh, they beat Mullen in the first round of the playoffs and lost to number seven Regis Jesuit. And none of their losses were particularly close, but 
yeah, like they beat Brighton by a score in a PAT, and they didn't win a game by less than 17 after that point. Uh, they averaged 424 and a half yards per game as a team, and it was mostly seniors carrying that load. Uh, they're graduating 23 seniors in total at all positions except for running back. So time to go over uh, some of those seniors. Again, as previously mentioned, uh, we have Tyler Kubat going to Lindenwood University. He was number 24 in passing yards across the state, despite missing most of the year. Uh, he had 2,033 passing yards, had a 23 touchdown, four interception ratio, and a quarterback rating of 121.1, no, 124.1, sorry. He had 49 rushing yards as well to go along with that. Uh, then we have Bryce Olson, who is a kicker who is going to be going to Air Force. He is number seven in Colorado for field goal for field goals made. He was number 16 in, in uh, points after attempts. He was number six in total kicking points. Uh, 19 in punt average, which with over 39 yards a punt. Number six in total kickoff yards with 3,800. He also had 59 yards per kickoff and 57, uh, excuse me, 52 touchbacks. He also had 207 receiving yards on the year and two touchdowns. Then we have Trek Keyworth, who is going to Colorado Mesa. He was one of our top five senior receivers. He was one of our all PMC wide receivers. And in total, he had 981 receiving yards, which had him number 12 in the state overall. And he had 11 receiving touchdowns. Then we have Dominic Leone, who, who I hope I'm saying that correctly, first of all, and he's going to the Colorado School of Mines. He had 729 receiving yards and 10 receiving touchdowns. Then we have the tight end, Mac Busteed, who's also going to Linden and Wood University, joining Tyler Kubat, who had 259 receiving yards and four receiving touchdowns. Now we're going to move to the line here, where we have first Thomas Iverson, who had, and this is according to the Max Preps, 54 pancake blocks, which was actually 10 more than Gage Ginther on the season. Uh, then we have David Pisano, who had 17 pancake blocks. Uh, we've got Michael Doyle, who had 273 rushing yards on 45 carries and 79 yards on punt returns. Uh, moving to the defense, we have Jake Deckleaver, uh, who had 104 tackles and four tackles for loss. Uh, Ryan Black, 77 tackles, five for loss. Antonio Gallegos, 67 tackles. Um, Ryan Pollier, 60 tackles, a tackle for loss, and three interceptions. Uh, Theo Frerichs, 58 tackles, nine and a half for loss. Uh, Griffin Hinckley, 44 tackles. Then you've got Cole Lazada, Julian Smith, Grant Greaves, and Hunter Morton between 20 and 40 tackles. Uh, Julian Smith and, Fre and Theo Frerichs, uh, they both had seven and a half sacks. Uh, Frerichs had seven hurries as well. And then Griffin Hinckley had four sacks and five hurries. Greaves had two sacks and six hurries. And Smith had four hurries. Uh, and finally, we're going to close out the graduating seniors with Tanner Issam. Issam, he had an interception, four pass deflections, and a fumble forced so that's all of the graduating seniors you've got a lot of firepower 
uh, graduating from this Fossil Ridge team, you have one, two, three, four, four different guys who are going to be, oh no, five guys who are going to be playing on the next level that we have confirmed graduating from the squad. Two of which, three of which are going D1, one of which is going FBS, two FCS, and then one of them, uh, Dominic Leone, he is going to the runner-up for the D2 National Championship. So it's not like these are players going to like subpar programs. These are guys going to good programs, good colleges, and those are going to be guys that are going to be hard to replace. Now, <laughs> let's take a look at the guys who are probably going to be filling in those roles. First, we're going to look at the quarterback position, where Colton Pollack, who is going to be a junior next year, standing at 5'9", uh, he started in place of Kubat last season when he was hurt, and ultimately, Pollack Paul had 488 pass yards, 31 completions with a 50% completion rate, uh, 7 touchdowns to 5 interceptions, uh, and an 80.6 QBR. Um, honestly, I don't really see him playing much QB this year. He works much better as a running back. Um, now, ultimately, it's looking like from when I was talking to him that he's probably going to play lacrosse in college if he gets to that point. Uh, Pollack, he had 1,272 rushing yards and 164 carries and 16 rushing touchdowns. So I feel like he's going to be working best at running back, which leaves a bit of a battle between Weston Stefanski and Nick Kubat to see who's going to win that ultimate quarterback starting spot. All right, so Stefanski and Kubat, uh, Nick Kubat, that is, they got about the same amount of pass attempts last season. Uh, Stefanski got nine and Kubat got seven. However, in those pass attempts, uh, Kubat, he went four for seven for 119 yards, a touchdown, and an interception, while Stefanski went four of nine for 76 yards. He also had a touchdown and an interception. That is a very limited sample size, but I can see Nick Kubat winning that just because, I mean, that's more yards and a better completion percentage, and... But we'll have to see. I can see the first couple of games, they go between them, and it'll be something for the coaching staff to figure out during the preseason, like who is going to be your starter. And then we're going to move to some of the other running backs. Uh, we got Jake Toshoff, uh, Toshoff, I believe, who had 660 yards and five rushing touchdowns last season. And... Now, he's a junior as well, so they do have a younger running back core, uh, but he's at about 5'9", 180. So, so we'll see what he's done over the offseason. I remember watching him. He was just an all-around solid running back. Uh, at wide receiver, we're going to have Marcus Moser, who is another junior. Uh, he's at 6'3", 190 pounds, and last year he had 300 yards on only 12 receptions. And he also had three touchdowns last season. So I think Marcus Moser is going to be another really solid receiver for them. I'm going to see how it works out just because of the amount of guys they're going to have as potential quarterbacks. But Moser should be at least solid. And now the moment you've all been waiting for, Gage Ginther. 
At six foot six, 260 pounds, Gage Ginther is a very interesting player. So I've, I saw him play twice last season, and it was odd. Because the first time I saw him, I was honestly a bit underwhelmed. Because it was during the Canvas Community Classic against Fort Collins, and I'm going to be honest, Ginther seemed a bit sluggish compared to some of the counterparts of his that I had seen before and after. And like Noah Atherton and like Ethan Thomason. And Cody said that when I talked to him about it, he said that he felt similarly at the week up at, at, at the matchup the prior week against Arvada West. And so at the end of the season, I watched him play again against the honestly pretty typically solid defense that Pooter had last year. And he performed much better against them. So he had 44 pancake blocks in the year, which is great. But it kind of seemed to me like when I was watching him that he played himself into shape. And Gage, if you're listening, I don't want you to take what I'm about to say the wrong way. I want to see you succeed, and I hope you prove me wrong. I just hope you don't do this again this season. Because your play is critical to this team's success. And a couple good games does not a season make. And you'll need a full season of strong performances for this team to succeed. Without a Tyler Kubat-level QB and the passing game in in question, the run game is going to be really important, especially if you want to keep the possession alive long enough to keep the defense from spending too much time on the field. Ginther is committed to Tennessee, which shows that he does have talent and a lot of potential. And I just hope that we get to see it for the full season instead of the last couple of games. And so, uh, we have a couple of other pieces on the line that I think are going to be pretty integral. Uh, You're going to have Brennan Roper, who, uh, he's a junior, who last year he had 16 pancake blocks. And then you have Avery Miller, another junior, who had six. So, all around, this is actually a pretty junior-heavy team. Um, (laughs) This is one of those instances where you're like, man, you wish that one guy's a year younger. But we'll see how it goes. Because then we're going to have Connor Vickers, uh, who he's going to be a senior. He had 45 tackles, two of which were for loss, a sack, five hurries, and both a forced fumble and a recovery. And he was overall the best statistical defender left on, left on the team. And then you got Gage Decklever. He's the only other returning player with only 20 tackles with 27. He has two TFL and then three hurries as well. Uh, and then uh, the only other players with over 10 tackles are going to be Luke Kristen, uh, Ryan Lautzenheiser, and Maximilian Spate-Haas. Uh, all those guys should make more of an impact this year, but yeah. And ultimately, this is going to be really tough because Fossil Ridge, they're graduating eight of the 13 players that scored for them last season. They're graduating all but four of their defenders that had more tackles than games played, and they're all Colorado kicker graduated to play for Air Force. And looking at the 2023-24 schedule for for Fossil Ridge, I see a lot of challenges. The schedule is basically just location swapped from last year, so it goes Loveland, Grandview, Brighton, Windsor, Arvada West, Boulder, Foco, Rocky Mountain, Fairview, and Poudre. So... The only teams that I see wins against that are definite 
are Brighton, Arvada West, and Boulder. And I see a very likely win against Fort Collins. And I see very likely losses against Loveland, Grandview, and Fairview. Loveland and Grandview, those are just really good teams. And Fossil is going to have to sort out a lot of stuff heading into next season. And looking at it, those are both teams that are coming off of deep, deep playoff runs. Those are teams that kind of have a hierarchy that they already have. And they're going to go into the season with a lot more figured out. And because Fossil is going to have to sort some stuff out, this leaves the schedule at four and three out of those ten. And the rest comes down to how the defense plays. I think that the floor for Gage Ginther this season is Noah Atherton, who's a player who's going to South Dakota State University, the FCS national champions, and possibly better than Ethan Thomason if he really balls out which I think will will earn them a win against Rocky Mountain. And then the rest of the games are kind of are interesting to think about because then we have Windsor, who are a team that I only see getting better, but Fossil Ridge beat 33-0 last year. And then we have Pooter, who's another team that are losing a lot of really, really good players that I have a lot of questions about. So I'm not really sure what to say when it comes to who's going to win that matchup because Pooter also has a quarterback battle they're also losing a running one of their main running backs they're losing their number two one of their top receivers they're losing a bunch of guys on defense and then then we have the matchup against Fairview which is just a historically really really good team uh Fairview only beat Fossil Ridge. Just going to double check here. Yeah, they beat Fossil Ridge 42-26 to last year. And Fairview is a team that right now looking at them, I think is going to be really, really good again next year. But looking at their league, I think whoever wins that Pooter-Fossil uh, Ridge matchup is going to get second in the league. Now... We'll see how it goes, because again, they have a lot of questions to answer. But all around, I have their floor as four and six, and their ceiling at about seven and three. And now onto, and now onto the school that is named after the city they are in, Fort Collins High School, who had a pretty, honestly, kind of disappointing and rough year last season. So coming off of a 9-3 and three season, they disappointed going 2-8. and eight. Uh, They beat Denver East 21-20 to start the year. But then they were beat eight games in a row by Mountain Vista, Windsor, Cherokee Trail, Columbine, Fossil Ridge, Rocky Mountain, Fairview, and Poudre. And the closest that any of those games were was the game against Windsor that they lost 27-21. Uh, that was really, really close. I saw... The clip from Mikey Munn, where uh, he's a player on Windsor, I'll talk about them later, but he got a pass deflection with like two seconds left, so that won Windsor that game. Then after that, it was Cherokee Trail and Rocky Mountain. But even then, uh, in terms of closeness, that is. But even then, they lost to Cherokee Trail by two scores and Rocky Mountain by three. So it's not like they were the closest games in the world. 
Um, but yeah, the Lambkins then close the season with a blowout win against Boulder, uh, 33-6. And to be completely honest, this team kind of reminds me of Castleview. Because, and I'm sorry to cast strays, like, <laughs> Castleview's kind of catching one here, but this is a team that got a win, like a close win over a team uh, that was a fringe playoff team. Castleview, I think that was against Doherty, who did make the playoffs. Denver East was 5-5, five and five. teams with worse records got in. And they got a team, they got a win over a fringe playoff team, but really, really struggled the rest of the year. Just... I'm not sure if it was bad vibes or like the momentum. Like, af- I mean, losing 50 to 21 in week two is pretty rough. And then losing a close one against Windsor and then Cherokee Trail and then losing your quarterback, which I'll talk about against Columbine, that's a lot. So, moving into that Columbine matchup, uh, Fort Collins was one in three, and I was there for that game. And this gives us a good chance to go over their senior QBs. Uh, first, you have Griffin Dacness, who, in that game at least, was being extremely aggressive, and he seemed like the right option to potentially pull an upset. Uh, it felt, to me at least, like Fort Collins had control of that game. They had the upper hand until Dacness got injured on a non-contact play. Hi. My cat wants to input... Say hi, Nona. Okay, in any case, uh, Dacness already had 300 yards on the year to go with 26 tackles. Uh, And from there on out, the quarterback was easy Campos. And Campos was really, really good statistically. He had 1,800 yards uh, on the year and 11 touchdowns. But unfortunately, that didn't really lead to many wins. Uh, then we have uh, Nicky McGuire. Uh, Nicky McGuire was the main target uh, for the season at wide receiver. He had 1,700 yards and five touchdowns. Uh, he was all-conference. He had 80 rushing yards and was in consideration for both an all-playmaker spot uh, for the 5A level, and he was in the conversations for our top five senior receiver race as well. And also on defense, he did have an interception. Uh, Then we have Joe Van Meter, who was another guy in contention for an all-playmaker spot. And he was an honorable mention in the 5A Defensive Playmaker of the Year race. Uh, He had 139 tackles, 15 tackles for loss, 5 sacks, and 7 hurries, and caused and recovered multiple fumbles. Uh, Van Meter also had about 220 receiving yards, making him a pretty big threat. Then you've got Josiah Elmore, who had 126 receiving yards on the year, uh, with 200 rushing yards and three touchdowns between uh, each, so receiving and rushing. Uh, Then you've got Jackson Barron, who had 82 tackles, making him the second highest mark besides Van Meter. He also had a sack and two hurries. Uh, Alex Cifuentes, he had 73 tackles, a sack and a hurry. Josiah Leclerc, he had 49 tackles and three sacks. And then Alex Augustine had 35. Marcos Escobar, Nick Merriweather, Michael McDonald, and Christian Lozano, they all shared 57 tackles between them. So those are the graduating seniors, and here are their returning key players. 
First, the only other player who's under center for the Lambkins that wasn't a senior last year was Sean Topher, who's going to be a senior this year. Uh, but he only had two, two pass attempts, so that's kind of up in the air right now. Um, and then, yeah, we've got C.J. Johnson, who had 70 rush yards, and Kevin Lozano had 34. And then the only other real major returner at the offensive skill positions is Joe Cottingham. Uh, Cottingham's first varsity season was really a success. He had 342 receiving yards and five touchdowns. And uh, C.J. Johnson is the only person who had real PT at receiver, and he had 89 yards. Uh, then we have uh, Joel Lopez. Uh, Joel Lopez, he's going to be a senior this year. He's somebody that I'm personally really high on. Uh, he was in the second slot for 5A All-PMC at kicker last year, uh, and he should continue to be among the best in the state. In 26 kickoffs, Lopez had 15 touchbacks and he averaged a shade over 36 yards a punt. He went 14 for 16 on PNT, on PATs, and in his one game on defense against Columbine, the one game, he had nine tackles. I don't know why he wasn't put in at defense more, but nine tackles against Columbine is no joke, regardless. Like, I don't know why he wasn't put in on defense more. Speaking of the defense, uh, we've got Sean Topher. So Topher, who we mentioned earlier as that potential QB, he's in a bit of a tough spot since he's the best returning tackler. He had 78 tackles, four of which were for loss, along with a sack and three hurries. We've also got Aaron Estrada, who had 53 tackles. Quincy Elmore, who had 35 tackles and five sacks. He was also team leader with 13 hurries. We've got Trennan Price, who had 23 tackles and two interceptions. And then we've got DeMarco Sanchez-Ferguson, another senior, who had 16 tackles, two sacks, and an interception. And it's tough, because I can see the season going a bunch of different ways on paper for Fort Collins. Their schedule is full of teams who were high-seeded playoff teams last year. Uh, you've got Ponderosa, who is a team that, I mean, they're losing Cape Olsen, but they should still be good. Uh, I see that likely being a loss. You've got Mountain Vista, who should be one of the best teams in the state. They were last year. They've got one of the best young cores in Colorado, where you've got Austin Madruski, Carter Daniels, Japri Jennings. Uh, you've got their running back, whose name I'm not remembering right now. But they've got one of the best young cores in the state. I see it being a little bit closer than last year, but still an L. Uh, Windsor's a team that, again, they'll only really keep getting better, and Fort Collins lost to them last year, like, with Griffin Dackness and, like, at full strength. Um, I see Windsor as, like, a potential buy team in the 4A playoffs, so I see this as a probable loss. Cherokee Trail is another team that is on the rise, is going to be a playoff team again. I'm going to say this is close, just because of how close it was last year. This was only a two-score game last year. Fort Collins, I feel like they're going to have more cohesion, more consistent quarterback play, potentially. Going to have, at the very least, they're going to have a team that, without injuries, is going to be playing with each other, with each other for the full year. So I'm going to call that one close. 
Uh, Fossil Ridge will probably be a loss, and I can see it again being close against Rocky Mountain. Fairview and Pooter, I see both being losses. And Boulder is really the only guaranteed win on this schedule. Because Boulder is a team that is losing a lot of good players, and they're only really going to get worse. Uh, Cody covered them in his season preview, and I, I, I don't see that really being a contest. I think Fort Collins is going to win that again. And, I mean, every team on their schedule except for Boulder made the playoffs last year and made them as a high seed. Oh, I forgot to mention Columbine, who they're playing between Cherokee Trail and Fossil Ridge. Yeah, that system kind of crushed Fort Collins after Dakness went down last year. I see Columbine winning that. But yeah, everyone made a, made the playoffs, and everyone but Cherokee Trail and Pooter won a playoff game. And like, I, I see their schedule being a minimum of one and nine and a maximum of four and six if everything goes perfectly. Like, again, this is what I was talking about earlier. I hope you prove me wrong. Like, I hope you do. I want you guys to have a good season. And best of luck, but this is gonna be tough. Now on to Rocky Mountain, who's losing one of the best players in the state. Let's go over the schedule first. So, Rocky Mountain. Last year, they went 5-5 five and five in the regular season and 1-1 one one in the playoffs. Uh, they beat Chaparral 20-0, beat Cherokee Trail 17-14, uh, lost big to Legacy, lost big to Eagle Crest, won against Horizon pretty big, lost big to Hooter, uh, Pooter in the Community Classic, uh, won against Fort Collins, uh, lost to Fossil Ridge, won against Boulder, lost to Fairview, beat Mountain Vista in one of the few upsets of the playoffs. Um, yeah, it was one of four 5A playoff upsets last season. And then uh, they lost to Grandview in the second round, honestly, by a pretty solid margin for how good Grandview was last year. Uh, they only lost 20-0. So, all in all, another solid season for Rocky Mountain where they went 500 uh, for the second year in a row, beating bad to okay teams and losing to teams better than better than them. This is about this was about as average of a full team as you'll see. Um, however, they performed one of those big upsets, upending Majerski, Daniels, and Jennings at Mountain Vista. Um, all around, the Lobos had a solid squad, and. This is a team that has some real solid pieces moving forward. However, they are losing the player who was, on our scale, the second best player in the state. So, on to their graduating seniors, we have Ethan Thomason. Uh, Thomason was the second best in the state last year by our scale, uh, just behind Joshua Bates and just ahead of Blake Purchase. Uh, the 6'8", 315-pound BYU commit probably won't play college ball for a year or two, but if he does it right, I can see him being a high-impact player on the next two levels. Um, he was just a beast, <laughs> to put it likely. Like, it was almost supernatural seeing what he was able to do. I, I mean, some of it is size, and he can't teach size, but like also looking at the mobility... Like, you would see these clips of him 
during basketball season where he's maneuvering like a guard, like somebody a foot shorter than him, and also just on the fast break ripping down a dunk. And you're just like, how is he able to do that? And so he's one of those guys who's going to be really, really tough to replace. I mean, yeah, you can't teach size and you can and even the IQ stuff that you can teach, he had, and it's going to be hard to replace that. And he was, we had him rated as the number one tackle in the state. So, yeah, ultimately, his job was protecting, uh, for the games that he did play, Gage Brook. Uh, Gage Brook, uh, he only played two games due to injury, but in those games, he had 210 yards on 44 attempts, He had one touchdown to three interceptions, uh, 66 rushing yards, and a rush touchdown. Then we have Owen Powers. Uh, Powers, he had 110 rush yards, uh, rushing touchdown, and 82 receiving yards. And then the only two other seniors with over 50 rushing yards were Timothy Bright, who had 88 total yards and a touchdown, and Brooke, who we mentioned earlier. Uh, their, re- their leading receiver, Owen Wentz, he had 144 yards on the season with a receiving touchdown. Um, yeah, uh, needless to say, Brooke was still the leading passer at the end of the season. And you'll see why here in a minute. Uh, then their other leading receivers were Isaiah Collin, who had 120 yards, Nate Eliason with 97 and Owen Powers with 82. Powers also had 84 kick return yards. And in total, they're graduating 11 of the top 13 tacklers. So you got Jordan DeLapp, who had 80 tackles, uh, Caleb Wolf, who had 53 tackles and three interceptions, uh, Will Pryor, who had 51 tackles and nine sacks to go with five tackles for loss, Zachary Pipo, I hope I'm saying that right, with 51 tackles and an interception. Marcelo Reyes with 37 tackles. Carter Wurst, who had 32, five tackles for loss and two sacks. Uh, Nate Eliason, who had 27 tackles and four interceptions. And Robbie Weber, who had 25 tackles and a sack. We also have Eli Sanford, Muhammad Al-Ghazawi, and Thad O'Daniel, who had between 10 and 25 tackles, along with Al-Ghazawi grabbing a TFL and a sack. And they're also graduating Zane Feltz and Timothy Bright, who were on the line. Now, we have our key returners. So first, we're going to have senior running back Abe Chatilla. Chatilla, he had... 1,486 rushing yards last season, 12 touchdowns, 44 receiving yards, and was one of our Offensive Playmaker of the Year finalists. Um, Then we have Cody Arnett, who is going to be a junior, who had 496 rushing yards, two touchdowns, 27 receiving yards, and a receiving touchdown. Uh, We've got Cole Honick. Uh, He had 97 receiving yards. And then we have Riley Honick, who... He had some play last year. He was a starting QB when uh, when Brooke was out. He went 19 for 41 last season with a touchdown and three interceptions. He had 158 total yards. Uh, I mean, he was only a freshman last year, so you can't 
fault the kid. Um, and with more consistency and more time with the other players on the squad, I see him being able to develop that chemistry with them to be able to gain more yardage and have a better than 0.33 TD to INT ratio. Um, on defense, the Lobos are going to be returning Gio Marconi, who had 56 tackles and a sack, Michael DeLapp, who had 47 tackles and three sacks, and then they are also returning uh, Danny Krieger, who are both potential, who, who's a potential all-PMC kicker looking at it. Uh, he had 1,377 yards on 28 kickoffs, uh, which means 49.2 yards per kickoff, and he was averaging 34.7 yards per punt on 32 punts for 1,109 yards, excuse me. He also went 16 for 18 on PATs and 2 for 4 on field goal attempts. Then we've also got uh, Alexander Perry, who's a free safety, standing at 6-2. And all around, I mean, this is tough. Because Rocky Mountain is graduating second-best senior in state from last year, along with 85% of their top 13 defenders. They have Abe Chitilla, but it's reasonable to ask if he can maintain the same production without the best tackle in the state blocking for him. And there are really only four experienced offensive skill position players and a, that are going to be staying and they're graduating a decent portion of the line too i mean marconi and michael DeLapp are trustworthy but only having two returners on your starting defense is kind of creepy to me um and then you also have krieger who seems like a good kicker and i feel solid about that but his lack of range on field goals kind of scares me because his largest field goal make was from 22 yards out last year. And so looking at their schedule, they're mostly playing playoff caliber teams. Honestly, a lot of this just has to do with figuring out how the new pieces will fit into their scheme. I see chat being closer than it should be on paper for the Lobos. Um, it could be going either way, but Rocky Mountain is losing a lot of meaningful pieces and having inexperienced guys wouldn't be fun against any team. I say it'll likely be a win, but I wouldn't hold my breath there. Then they're going to be facing the Cougars at a Cherokee Trail, and I honestly see it being a loss. Cherokee Trail almost beat the heavily favored uh, Rock Canyon in the playoffs last year, and although they are losing a lot, they'll retain a lot more of their squad than Rocky Mountain, including their quarterback. And then the Lobos will play Legacy, who will probably strike them down. The Lightning were within a TD and a PAT of beating the final four round bound Pine Creek last year, and they beat the brakes off of Rocky Mountain this year. And I kind of, so I see that being an indication of, along with what they're keeping, of Legacy being able to win that again. And I feel kind of weird saying this, but I can actually see the game against Eagle Crest being close. Just think about it. I mean, the Eagles are losing Diego Kearns and Jacob Smith and seven of their top 13 tacklers. And this could be where Rocky Mountain finds their footing. Barring extenuating circumstances, I can see them pulling off a win. 
And then also, if nothing weird happens, I could I see Horizon being a fairly easy win for Rocky Mountain before they go on to play Fort Collins. And this is tough to predict, but I give Rocky Mountain the slight edge. However, it's close enough that I'll leave it as a maybe. Uh, next, we have Pooter, which I see as a loss. Pooter's losing a lot, but since most of the defense that locked up Rocky Mountain last year is coming back, I'm going to give it to the Impalas. Uh, Fossil might be a loss as well, uh, even though Kubat is gone. Uh, Tyler Kubat, that is. Colton Pollack, Marcus Moser, and Connor Vickers are still there. And I think it'll be close, but I give this to, to Fossil. Boulder's probably going to be a win because it's Boulder. And then they'll be driving back to Boulder the next week to face Fairview, which will probably be a loss despite losing Zach Lewis because Rowan Reisner, Ryder Villarreal, and Jordan Rochelle are still there. All in all, I think this will be a tough season for Rocky Mountain. They're kind of the antithesis of Longmont, where Longmont has a bunch of guys becoming seniors and the right time. And if they stay healthy, I can see a potential Final Four run. But most of Rocky Mountain is gone. So this will be a rebuilding year for them, honestly. I expect Abe Chatilla to go off for about 1,500 to 2,000 yards. Uh, and for Dun- and for Danny Krieger to have an all-PMC contending season. I see Marconi and Michael DeLapp putting up at least 60 tackles each. But that's really all that's guaranteed for them. I can see the Lobos winning as few as three games and winning as many as six, making them either a three and seven team or a six and four team. I mean, I hope they prove me wrong and they get those six wins or seven or eight, but that's honestly just kind of what I'm seeing. And so best of luck to you and on to one of the most unique mascots in Colorado in the Pooter Impalas. Now we have the Pooter Impalas. So they started the season pretty slow last year, but they eventually warmed up to make their first playoffs since 2017. With a large loss against Castle Rock to open the year, Pooter had to face Castleview, who had downed Doherty, the 24 seed in the playoffs, the week prior. In an absolute slugfest, Pooter found their footing and not only won that game, but the next four straight against Prairie View, Brighton, Monarch, and Rocky Mountain before falling to Fairview by a safety. They then rattled off two wins against Boulder and Fort Collins before losing the last two games of the season against Fossil Ridge and Legend. The final game against Legend was close, though, as even though the Impalas gave up 22 first-half points, they scored 15 unanswered points in the fourth only losing to the Titans by a score. This was their first winning season since 2017, and they got a lot of meaningful contributions from big-time players, such as Quentin Harms. The Impala's offense was headed by Morningside College commit Quentin Harms, who had 1,750 passing yards and a 17-touchdown to 7-interception ratio, with an average QBR of 96.6, a rushing TD, and 31 rushing yards. The Impalas are going to be losing their leading rusher when we get on that subject, Jordan Neesant. Neesant is next up here, and he was both a top-five senior candidate for running back and cornerback. He had 807 rushing yards, eight rushing touchdowns, 
150 receiving yards with a receiving touchdown, 54 kick return yards, 73 punt return yards, and 195 interception return yards on seven interceptions with 45 tackles. He was an all-PMC selection for cornerback and was an honorable mention for our MVP race. And all around, the Adams State commit is an amazing athlete who's going to be sorely missed by the Impalas. Another athlete who's going to be missed is Jones Thomas. The Wyoming commit was another two-way demon for, for Pooter because not only did he have 114 tackles and four interceptions for 79 yards with two fumble recoveries, but he was also the Impala's leading receiver with 578 receiving yards and seven touchdowns. He also had 70, uh, 64 excuse me, rush yards and a rushing touchdown to go with 170 yards on special teams to go with the conversion. I dare say Jones Thomas is going to be a good addition to that Cowboys team up in Laramie. As much as I hate to say it because he, he should have gotten recruited by CSU, but that's beside the point. Next up, we have Sage Camerand. Camerand was RB2 behind Neeson, and he was able to, for lack of a better phrase, get shit done. He had 529 rush yards, 6 rush TDs, not a single fumble on the year by the way. Great ball security. He also had 23 receiving yards, 77 tackles, two of which were for loss, an interception, and three forced fumbles. Then we have Logan Correll. Correll is going to be joining Neeson down at Adams State, and he was one of two tight ends that was prominently run in Pooter's system. He had 359 receiving yards, and four touchdowns to go with 97 tackles and two tackles for loss. He also got a conversion reception. They're getting a lot of good athletes from this Pooter squad down in Alamosa. Next on defense, we have Luke Olson, who had 72 tackles, an interception, and a fumble recovery to close out his high school career. Trevor McFadden, who, to close out the defense, had 41 tackles, a sack, and a fumble recovery. He was also 2-for-2 two two on PATs for the year. And the other scoring senior that Pooter's losing is Jeremiah Sullivan, who had over 115 punt yards with over 38 yards per punt on average. Uh, finally, they're also going to be losing center Alex Koski. So we've got a couple of really good players that are, a lot of which are going on to play at the next level, D1 and D2. So it's good to see that a lot of these guys who were one of my favorite squads to watch last year are getting that opportunity on the next level. Next, we have our returning key players. So first, we have a bit of a QB battle between senior Matthew Manns and junior Braden Bay. Now, Bay was QB2 last year with four games played and 63 yards and a 78% completion rate. But from what I've heard, Mance is in the running to take that spot. He's been uh, playing quarterback on junior varsity for the past couple of years, from what I've heard. And Mance has a pretty good shot as well. And so I think it'll be interesting to hear during training camp how it's going. Because, of course, Mance has seniority here. But Bay has a little bit more varsity experience. So we'll see. Uh, then we have the player that... 
um, we have two players that are getting a lot of attention from colleges and that I personally have as early candidates for all PMC spots. So we have tight end Colton Millsy Younger, who last year he had 503 yards on yards on 45 receptions with two touchdowns along with a conversion. He had 74 tackles, three tackles for loss, and both a fumble forced and three recoveries. He was also the kicker, and he went 25 for 28 on PATs, three for three on field goal attempts, and had 34 kicking points in total. I mean, the 6-2 tight end is going to be the main returning two-way player, so he'll have a really big opportunity to set the tone. And then we have Brody Van Cleve, who is an absolute beast. I mean, he was my personal vote for Defensive Playmaker of the Year last year, and he was a finalist. Uh, he had 124 tackles, 18 tackles for loss, 12 sacks, 12 of them things, an interception, a forced fumble, and two fumble recoveries. I mean, he he's an early Defensive Playmaker of the Year candidate, and someone who if the chips fall right, may have an all-PMC season. Because, I mean, he was in the running. He just had Blake Purchase and Hayden Moore behind him in, when it came to linebacker. And then also on defense, we have Ryan Vandiver. Uh, Vandiver, he had 90 tackles, two tackles for loss, and an interception with a fumble recovery last year. Uh, we have junior Braden Meyer who is the returning leading rusher. He got a Player of the Game award from the Impala's Max Preps last season. He had 89 rush yards, a rushing touchdown, 43 receiving yards, 62 tackles, a tackle for loss, and a forced fumble last year. Then we have Brady Brown and Logan Chapman, both of which are seniors. Uh, Brady Brown and Chapman, they combined for 82 receiving yards and two touchdowns, with Brown also having 26 tackles. The Impalas are retaining seven of their top 13 tacklers, and not including Van Cleve, Mills Younger, Vandiver, Meyer Brown, basically everyone we've already talked about. They're returning Evan Griffiths, who had 74 tackles, three tackles for loss, a sack, and two forced fumbles. Cassius Garcia, who had 27 tackles and a tackle for loss, and two sacks in Coulter Junker. They're bringing back punter slash offensive lineman slash defensive lineman Drake Miller, who had 1,097 yards on, on 31 punts, averaging over 35 yards a punt, and Pierce Decker. Pierce Decker is a sophomore standing at 6'6", 210 pounds, who's probably going to be a guy to keep an eye on when it comes to the offensive line from here on out. Now, to look at what this squad is going to be dealing with next season, in their window of wins, at least at the beginning of the season, I see this being a really tough game for Pooter. The Impalas are losing a lot of their leading offensive players, and Rock Canyon is going to be a struggle. I mean, looking at it, they lost to Rock Canyon 40-8 last season, and that was with Quentin Harms and Jordan Neeson and Jones Thomas and Carell and Nescent, and Camerand, and the Jaguars, I mean, the, the Jaguars have a good system for regular season stats, and, and regular season wins, and I mean, they are losing Aiden Duda, I will fully admit that, but 
Hooters losing more of their roster and more of their impact playmakers than Rock Canyon is. And so that'll likely be a loss. Uh, Castleview will probably be much better for Pooter, as they'll be adjusting to losing their QB and Jordan Achoa, among others. And although Ryder Smith's Sabercats will be hosting, I see the Predator becoming the prey here, uh, with Pooter prevailing. Just because, I mean, Pooter came out on top last year. It was a close game in the first half. Second half, Pooter started to break it open. And that's kind of where they found their footing for the season. And, I mean, Castleview, they kind of just ended the season poorly all around. And so, yeah, I see Pooter coming out on top there. And then Brighton is a team that wasn't really that good last year under their new coach, Mike Brown. So I think Pooter and Eric Tonkin will probably repeat that win just based off of which way that these two teams are trending. I think it'll be a little bit closer than last year. I mean, looking at, yeah, 21-0. Maybe this will be like a 14-7 win for Pooter, but I still see the Impalas taking this. Um, and then we see Monarch, uh, which I think is another game that'll be closer than last year. I mean, Owen Mellish is likely going to keep getting better, and the Coyotes are a serious candidate to make the playoffs, at least in my eyes. And so this should be pretty close. And then, then they come to Fairview. Which, I mean, I, I said previously, Fairview is retaining a lot of good players. Uh, I mean, of course they're losing Zach Lewis. But what else are they keeping? Most of the rest of their impact players. And Pooter's going to have to replace a lot of their guys. And so I think that Fairview is going to go hunting that week a little bit. Um, and yeah, honestly, I, I think Fairview is going to win this league again. But then we have some of the more challenging aspects of the season. Um, we have Rocky Mountain, which, I mean, Rocky Mountain is losing a lot, but, the, but a few of their guys are staying on that should be really solid pieces I, I still give the edge to pooter but i think that that game is pretty close i think pooter wins like 55 times out of 100 uh then we have boulder which should be a win <laughs> and then we have four collins which should also probably be a win uh both of those teams had pretty lackluster years last season and fort collins in particular has a lot of impact players leaving um, and just with how bad the, uh, with, with how bad Pooter beat Fort Collins last year, 41-15, I don't really see a way for Fort Collins to bounce back from that with the players that they're retaining, unless some guys really go off. Then we have Fossil Bridge, which should be much closer, and I, I'm honestly not sure what Fossil Ridge will look like without Tyler Kubat and Trek Keyworth and Bryce Olsen and McBusteed. Like, they're losing as much offensively as Pooter is. And Pooter is arguably losing a little bit more defensively, but they're retaining their biggest defensive pieces, if that makes sense. So, I mean, I know that Fossil won pretty big last year, but Pooter wasn't exactly a healthy team at that point. Uh, but... I don't know. I, I call this one as pretty close. 
I think that whoever wins that month, that matchup is going to become the, uh, the number two in the league. Uh, probably not going to get seeded as a top 10 team again. Uh, but yeah, I think they'll be second in the league. I think of this league, the locks for playoffs are Fairview, Pooter, and Fossil Ridge. I think Pooter will make the playoffs for the second year in a row. But Rocky Mountain is kind of on that edge, and something really special would have to happen for Fort Collins to make it. But, yeah, I mean, honestly, that's what I think about most of the teams in that league. And now we'll head a little bit down south to Longmont, where we're going to talk about the Trojans from Longmont High School where they actually have one of the longer tenured coaches in the state, uh, Doug Johnson, who in his 24th year as head coach, he had a pretty solid year. Uh, All of the teams that they did lose to were playoff teams, and most of the teams that they beat, except for Greeley West, were at least fringe playoff teams themselves. Uh, They did lose to the eventual champions, Broomfield, in the first game of the season. They lost to 15-seeded Windsor, and Joseph Capra sent Denver South before picking up a win against 5A Far Northeast, uh, 26-13. Uh, they lost to Skyline and then won three straight against Greeley West, Silver Creek, and Monarch. They dropped their last two regular season games against three-seeded Erie and state runner-up Loveland. And however, against Erie, they did put up a hell of a fight, which I think propelled them to the playoffs. Uh, I mean, you score 21 points against a team that ended up making it to the final four, I want to say. And you go four and four and six on the season. That's the type of that that that's the type of game, along with uh, Denver South, where you, where you have a race or 35 points, where I see that being a real RPI booster. And so That eventually propelled them into the playoffs where they did lose first round against Dakota Ridge 43-14. Cody talked about that in in his preview for Dakota Ridge for this season. Go check that out. That was on episode 272. Um... But yeah, all around, with the group that they had, they really overperformed and made an impact. They shook things up a little bit, and especially for a 4A team with 36 players on the roster, they did the best that they possibly could. Now, they are losing some bigger pieces, but I honestly don't think that's going to be the worst thing in the world. Uh, So, when we come to the graduating seniors... uh, First of all, we have their only all PMC, uh, their only all PMC member from last season. That being Noah Atherton. Atherton is a 6'6", 300-pound tackle who ended up committing to FCS National Champion South Dakota State. Uh, he was the number five tackle in the class of 2023 per our metrics and was 18th rated. He was the 18th rated overall recruit in that class with an 85.475 rating equivalent to a four star on our scale. Yeah, he was overall a very pleasant surprise. He made a really big jump from his junior to senior year. Uh, We did interview him, episode 253, 
and we went over his skills at the tackle position way back in episode 228, which it feels kind of crazy that that was back in January already, but, you know, time flies by. <laughs> And then we have Bryson Strandberg. Strandberg was the third leading rusher and the leading receiver for Longmont last year with 122 rush yards, two rushing touchdowns, 605 receiving yards, three receiving, three receiving scores, 147 kick return yards, 16 punt return yards, and three tackles. On special teams, Strandberg had 2,175 yards on 44 kickoffs, averaging 49.4 yards per, and he also had 915 punt yards with about 37 yards per punt, which is pretty darn solid. He also went 10 for 12 on PATs and had 42 total points on the year. And then we had Griffin Taylor, who had 130 receiving yards, 32 tackles, three and a half sacks, an interception, and both caused and recovered a fumble. Then we have Gail Garcia, who had 75 receiving yards, 11 rushing yards, 59 tackles, and a pass deflection. Now, his best tackle of the year, in my opinion, was, and his key defensive instincts are one that I saw firsthand which won Longmont that game against Monarch. Without Garcia, this game probably would have gone to overtime because he tackled out of bounds a two-point conversion when Longmont was up 22-20 to over the Coyotes. And the momentum was honestly going Monarch's way. So if Gail Garcia had not gotten that tackle, then Longmont may have lost that game and... I can see that being the swing in their seeding and being able to make the playoffs to begin with. Because a three and six team is a three and seven team is not making the playoffs in the vast majority of seasons. So Gail Garcia kind of saved them there. After Garcia, we have Caden Rose, who had 44 receiving yards, 257 kick return yards, and 67 punt return yards. He also had 59 tackles, an interception, two pass deflections, and a forced fumble. Uh, of their top 13 tacklers, the Trojans are only graduating five of them, including Rose, Garcia, and Taylor. Uh, we also have Silas Nolan. Uh, Nolan had 73 tackles, three tackles for loss, a sack, three hurries, an interception, and two pass deflections. And then we have... Jack O'Brien, who was the last of the seniors in the top 13, who had 29 tackles, a hurry, and two pass deflections. Now, Longmont is returning a lot of good players next year. Uh, this is another one of those situations where you wish that a couple players were a year younger so that they could join this squad, but, you know, they have a lot of solid guys coming back next year. They've got dudes. First, we've got who I think is going to be their main piece, Cole Gaddis, and he's about as good of a running back as you'll get in Colorado. Uh, he should be an Opoi candidate last season. Uh, he was an Opoi honorable mention, uh, Offensive Playmaker of the Year, that is, uh, last year. Uh, the junior 6-foot, 195 back had 1,131 rush yards, 20 rushing touchdowns, 174 receiving yards, 
49 tackles, a tackle for loss, a hurry, an interception for 12 yards, two pass deflections, and both a forced fumble and a recovery. He's definitely a contender for an all-PMC spot. And yeah, heading into his senior season, I see Cole Gaddis doing a lot for this Longmont squad. And then we've got Colby Holmes. Uh, Holmes was last year's QB, and as a sophomore, he was about as solid as you could hope. Uh, Holmes had 1,734 pass yards, uh, eight touchdowns to seven interceptions, and had a QBR of 81.5. He had 44, or not 44, 442 rushing yards and four touchdowns along with three tackles. Then we have Joey Foote. Foote was a Newcomer of the Year finalist last year, and as a freshman, he had 553 receiving yards, three receiving touchdowns, and 15 kick return yards. Uh, The 6'1 wide receiver should be a good target next year if everyone keeps getting along well. Uh, Then we have Ethan Atherton. Ethan Atherton is projecting to be a very solid player. Uh, he's listed as 5'11 on the roster, but given that his whole family is tall, I uh, I went to the game on senior night, and yeah, the, the Atherton family are some tall folks. Uh, he is very likely to grow, and I see Ethan following in the footsteps of his brother, which he'll have to do if this team is going to be successful. Uh, then we have Levi Sheck. Uh, Sheck was the fifth leading receiver for for the Trojans last year with 115 receiving yards, a touchdown, 38 kick return yards. And then, yeah, on defense, they're going to be returning Grant Cummins, Hunter Knight, Kobe Dirksen, Logan Johnson, Tristan Wrench, Parker Mills, and Isaiah Prospero, who were all in the top 13 tackles, tacklers with 212 between them, along with about eight tackles for loss. Uh, Nick Damasca and Prospero had one and a half sacks between them, and Johnson ha- has a blocked field goal attempt. Uh, Wrench also went eight for eight on PATs for the year. And so, looking at their schedule for their window of wins, I see this being a tough season for Longmont, where, I mean, they are going to be getting better, but they are playing a lot of good teams again last year. They played a lot of playoff teams. The only one that they didn't play against, the only team they played against last year that wasn't a playoff team was Greeley West. So we'll see how it goes for them. Um, Yeah, so first off, they're going to be playing Broomfield, which they're coming off of a 4A championship. Uh, They're losing uh, Wisconsin commit Cole LaCrue and our most valuable playmaker last year. Uh, they're losing 4A championship MVP Cannon Juarez, and their head coach Blair Hubbard is gone as well. Uh, the remaining players, I believe, will be riding high and coming out swinging. Uh, I mean, you are also missing some major defensive pieces like Garrett Keeler, who's going to CSU. But if there's anything that I have learned, it's that there is some truth to the adage, don't underestimate the heart of a champion. And so I'm going to give this to Broomfield, but with how much that they're losing, I see Broomfield only winning about like 60 to 65% of the time. Then we have Windsor, which I feel like this will be really close. Uh, Windsor is a team that I see trending up. And even though the Wizards won last year, I think the Trojans might sneak a horse into the Wizards' castle. 
Um, I mean, looking at it, Windsor is losing a lot of their offensive firepower. Um, I mean, they're keeping most of their really, really good defense. And Windsor won 27-6 last year. But they're losing a couple thousand yard rushers. They're they're losing they're losing a lot of guys. I'll go over that. Uh, Windsor's the next team we're going to preview. And so I think that with the amount that Longmont is retaining, I see them having a really, really solid chance. I'm going to give this to Longmont. Um, I mean, eh, nah, nah, now that I think about it, I'm, I'm going to say it's pretty close. It's pretty close. I have it as a, as a T. Uh, w, L, and T for Ty. Um, yeah, and then, then we have Denver South. Um, I mean, they're graduating all their top offensive performers, including Joseph Capra, except for their leading rusher, uh, Chevelle Early. Uh, their defense is just as intact as Longmont's, though, so I could kind of, I, I can kind of see it going both ways. Uh, then we have Far Northeast, where I think that this will be a win for Longmont. Uh, the Warriors were a fringe playoff team in 5A last year, but they're graduating their top three rushers, both of their receivers with, o- with over 100 yards, and six of their top tacklers. Uh, five of those six are in the top seven. I think it'll be closer than last year, especially if Jeremiah Iman Jr. develops well, but I think that Longmont's experience, especially their playoff experience, will carry them well here. Then Skyline, I think, will be a different, closer story. Uh, Michael Silva Skyline has had a winning record every year since 2016, and last year they did go 7-5. and five. However, they are graduating Northern Colorado commit Caden Box. Three of their top four rushers and their top three receivers, along with seven of their top 13 tacklers. With Longmont getting better and Skyline losing a lot of crucial pieces, I think this will be close. Um, again, another T on the, on the window of wins. Then we're going to go to Greenlee West, which uh, uh, I think that'll be a win. Uh, the, the Spartans, I feel bad. They haven't had a winning season since I was a freshman in high school and I'm going into my sophomore year of college. And so... I think Greeley West, with the pieces that they have, are not going to upset this Trojans team. Um, then we have Silver Creek, which they have finished with a 4-6 and six record for the past two years, and they have honestly been kind of mid since the 2016 championship run. However, they are keeping a lot. They're only graduating two of their top four receivers and none of the rest of the impact offense. However, they are losing... Eight of their 13 leading tacklers, which isn't good. That that defense against a high-powered Trojan offense, I see the Raptors getting speared. Monarch, I see being a repeat of last year. Um, I mean, it was close as all hell. And with Asher Ewing and Owen Mellish having one more year together, along with a lot of the rest of the offense, it will certainly be tough. However, the Coyotes are losing a lot of their defense. They may run into the same problem as Silver Creek. Uh, Again, I'll give this to Longmont, but I think that this will be another entertaining matchup. Uh, Unfortunately, I do think that's where the win streak ends, because they have back-to-back matchups 
with the Tigers of Erie and the Red Wolves of Loveland. Uh, and both of them made it to the Final Four last year. And in my personal opinion, I think they're both poised to try and repeat that. Um, Cody talked again in episode 272 about Loveland when he was going over Dakota Ridge and why he thought that Loveland was still favored in that matchup. And so I have the same reasoning there. And honestly, when we're looking at this Trojan team, they have a minimum window of wins of four and then a maximum of seven. So either four and six or seven and three. I think that six and four is more realistic because, I mean, looking at it, Windsor, Denver South, and Skyline are the swing games that I have. I have, personally, I think they're going to go two and one there. And then Broomfield, Erie, and Loveland are all teams that are kind of in that weird, like, are they contenders category. So Longmont I have as a home seed for the first round of the playoff, not a bye team, but a home seed in the first round of the playoffs, depending on how that schedule goes. So we'll see. I think it'll be interesting to see how their season plays out. And yeah, ultimately, good luck, Longmont. I am planning on making it out to a game this year, so I'll see you guys there. And yeah, on to Windsor, where the Wizards, they had a pretty good year last year. Uh, so Windsor, they went 6-4, and 1-1 one one in the playoffs. Uh, Windsor opened the season with a loss against the reigning runner-up, in 3A in Mead, they lost 34-35. Then they beat Longmont 27-6. They beat Fort Collins in 5A. I'll talk about that one later. Uh, they lost to Fossil Ridge 33-0. Uh, lost to Erie. Won against Greeley Central, Skyline, and Greeley West before losing to Loveland. Beating Grand Junction Central. Winning against Bear Creek in their first playoff game, which I was there for before I got tracheitis. And then they lost to Broomfield in the second round of the playoffs. So looking at their graduating seniors, uh, first I'll just combine two players into one segment in TNT. Chase and Jaden Thomas. Now, they are not related, just kind of happened to line up. But these two were the dynamic duo for the Wizards, with Jaden being one of the few players to ever reach 3,000 rushing yards in a career. Um... He was a New Mexico State commit with 1,602 rushing yards, 15 rush TDs, 284 receiving yards, a receiving touchdown, 235 kick return yards, and 74 punt return yards. He was a 4A Offensive Playmaker of the Year finalist, number 5 on our top 5 senior running backs list with a rating of 85.5, making him a 4-star on our scale and being the number 17 recruit in the Colorado 2023 class. Uh, and then we have Chase Thomas, who he committed to the NIIA Briar Cliff University, who was the other side of the coin. Uh, Chase had 272 rush yards, four rushing touchdowns, 454 receiving yards, six receiving touchdowns, and 457 kick return yards one of which was for a touchdown in the 
playoff game against Bear Creek. I saw that one. That was an insane <laughs> sequence. And I kind of wish I could go back and watch that one. Uh, then then we have Garrett Zawa. Uh, Garrett Zawa, he was Windsor's starting quarterback for most of the year uh, last year. However, he did get hurt during the game against Loveland, uh, making the last three games of the season fall on another player's shoulders. We'll bring that up later. In the time he did play, Sauer had 781 pass yards, 7 touchdowns, 0 interceptions, 16.6 yards per completion, and a QB rating of 112.6. I mean, Sauer is a guy that I'm honestly confused that he isn't playing college ball. Uh, I mean, the only thing that he didn't like do amazing at was he had two rushing touchdowns on negative 23 yards. I mean, you can do the math there, but I mean, honestly, looking at it, he's a pretty solid quarterback if you have the right pieces around him, but that's beside the point. Uh, the Wizards are also losing Mitchell Madrill, who had 401 rush yards, seven rushing touchdowns, and a sack last year. He was RB2 to, to uh, Jaden Thomas, which is a very important role. Now we have Zach Johnson, who was the fourth receiver for Windsor, with 117 receiving yards, a touchdown, and five rush yards, along with a sack. Uh, they're only graduating five of their top 13 tacklers. Uh, you got Grayson Lewis, who had 98, 11 tackles for loss, which was second on the team as well, with two pass deflections, a forced fumble, and two fumble recoveries. Uh, you have Trevor Vialpando. Vialpando, he had 89 tackles, four tackles for loss, and had a fumble recovery. Uh, Trey Batts had 73 tackles, two TFLs, an interception, and seven pass deflections last year. Uh, you got Braden Nichols. Nichols had 57 tackles, three tackles for loss, and both a forced fumble and a recovery. Josh Taylor had 56 tackles, two interceptions, and 11 pass deflections last year, making him one of the best in the state by numbers in terms of pass breakups. And then you have Jackson Harden, who had 49 tackles, five for loss, a hurry, and an interception in his final campaign. And also, just a quick note, uh, 49 tackles on this team actually puts you outside of the top 13. It's just that number was so insane that I'm, I had to include him because gosh darn. Um, okay. In any case, uh, looking at their returning players, Windsor is returning a lot of good pieces. So let's start with a guy under center, which is probably going to be sophomore Wyatt Gustafson. Uh, Wyatt Gustafson is a guy that stepped up when Garrett Sauer got hurt. I, I referred to him earlier. And as a freshman, he made his debut against Greeley West, where he had 17 yards on five attempts. But then he had to step up in the game against Loveland, where he had 19 yards. His real coming out party was the playoff game against Bear Creek, where I think his true potential sh shined, because he went... 8 for 14 on 154 yards. He had a pass touchdown and a QBR of 119.3. Now, that was over half of his pass yards for the season. He had 250 for the five games he played, but he also and he also had uh, eight aggregate rushing yards for the season. That, but he was really good 
against Bear Creek. And that's a team that I'll talk about them later. They had a really solid defense. And I can honestly see him making a leap in a sophomore year with a full season to with a full offseason, first of all, to adjust to the system. And then he'll have the full year to develop that chemistry with his guys that he didn't have before. Um, he has a good frame. He's six foot two, and I mean, honestly, he just needs to fill out a little bit at 160. Because I mean, if he's going to be able to break any sack attempts, he needs to be able to power through that. And right now, at 160 pounds, I'm not quite seeing that. But I think that he's going to have a most improved playmaker type of season. Uh, then we have Kyle Phelps who I think is kind of intriguing because he only played in that game against Erie, had two carries, and then had 81 rush yards and a touchdown in that game. I have no clue what happened there, but it does make him their, le their leading returning rusher ahead of Brady Lichtenberg, uh, who had 49 rush yards in five games last year and is the second leading returning rusher. Then we have the Wizards Selm, uh, Seldom uh, All-PMC member last year, which was Gavin Helm. Uh, Helm had 120 receiving yards and was one of the best special teams players in the state. He is rated as a 4.5-star punter and a 4-star kicker by Coles. Uh, he had 3,020 kickoff yards with over 59 yards per kickoff. Uh, he was last year's All-PMC for a punter, as previously mentioned, with 1,700 punt yards, averaging 41.4 yards per. He went 32 for 36 on PATs, but only 1 for 4 on field goal attempts. However, that field goal he did make was from 50 yards out, so he does have range. And I mean, he's, he's obviously going to be very important for Windsor last year. He's going to be one of their leading receivers, and he's going to be their best guy on special teams. So it's going to be very important that he stays healthy if this team's going to be able to convert when they need to. Uh, then we have Trip Thomas, who had 84 aggregate yards between rushing, receiving, and kick return last year. Yeah, another Thomas. Uh, I <laughs> wouldn't. I I don't know if he's related, but I just think it would be kind of funny if he was. Um, <laughs> Trip. no offense, I, I just think it would be funny if you were related to Jaden or Chase. Uh, then we've got Brock Paquette, uh, Packet. Uh, he has a lot of potential, um, because last year he had 143 tackles, three tackles for loss, an interception, a pass deflection, and two forced fumbles. That 141 tackles mark is among the best in the state. But when I talk to people and I've asked about about Brock, they say, well, he needs to put on some weight. He needs to buff up a little bit because uh, right now he's just out-athleting people. And to be able to compete on the next level, you can't just out-athlete people because everybody's an athlete at that point. So, Brock, I think you're good. I know you're really good. The numbers say that you're really good. I saw you play. You're solid. But just don't take any of that as an insult. I think that you can be a DPOY candidate. 
I just need to see what you can do this season. Then we have another potential DPOY candidate, if I'm being completely honest, in Mikey Munn. Uh, Mikey Munn, he had 80 tackles, two tackles for loss, three interceptions, but he also had 14 pass deflections, which I think is what ultimately earned him his sole offer as of now, which is from Adam State. Uh, he is a definite watch list guy. He also had a field goal block and two fumble recoveries. And I was going through some of his film, and I saw that game against Fort Collins. He's the guy that got that crucial pass deflection. I mentioned it during the Fort Collins preview. And so he's going to be a very, very important guy uh, moving forward. Oh, and then we have Colton Piper, who is another defensive juggernaut. Also, looking back on it, sorry, Colton, uh, I just looked at the all-PMC list from last year, uh, and you were all-PMC uh, defensive tackle. But, regardless, you had 96 tackles, 12 for the loss, 5 sacks, 4 hurries, 2 pass deflections, and both a forced fumble and a fumble recovery. Honestly, Colton Piper is another watchless guy and has the potential to be a next-level guy if he wants to be. Then we also have Rylan Renton, Henry Jones, Bryson Pendleton, Hunter Doris, and Robert Taylor, along with Landon Scruggs, who had between all of them 342 tackles, 6 sacks, 3 interceptions, 18 pass deflections, 4 forced fumbles, and a blocked field goal between them. Those are some beautiful numbers. And these are all guys that are within their top 13 of tacklers. I just find it personally absurd how number 13 on your returning tacklers list, uh, or your total tackles list last year, had over 50. Your 13th best statistical defender had 50 tackles. What are they feeding you, boys? <laughs> what are they feeding you? Like, goddamn... And ultimately, I <laughs> I think this will be a very interesting year for Windsor because I, they are playoff tested. Um, they're losing a lot of their offense, but they're keeping their battle-tested QB. And the vast, vast majority of that overpowered defense, <laughs> I mean, they have a really good chance to be solid, if not great. I think they'll have a good chance against Meade to open the season, and I'll say that they win that. I mean, Meade's losing their quarterback, their two leading rushers, their two leading receivers, and eight of their top 13 tacklers, and even last year, they were not in the form that got them to that championship two years ago. And then, yeah, with Windsor's experience, I give them this one. I think it'll be close against Longmont just because of how they've developed as well. We already went over that. Uh, then I see a win against Fort Collins, just since Foco is staying about the same, and Windsor will probably be getting better. As I mentioned in my Fossil preview, I think that'll be too close to call, uh, just since Fossil has a lot of good pieces and Windsor is getting better. Though, one thing that is going to be really interesting to watch is seeing Gage Ginther match up with Colton Piper. I I really want to see that. Um, then, Windsor will be playing against Erie. 
which will probably be a loss. Uh, I mean, Erie lost really big last year, and the Tigers are keeping most of their top talent, so I think it'll be most of the same cores against each other, minus the Windsor offense. And so, this is probably an L, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, then we have Greeley Central and Greeley West, which will probably be wins before they head over to Skyline, which I think will be tricky. I'll give the slight edge to Windsor, since Skyline is both losing and retaining big pieces. I mean, basically just repeat what I said in the Skyline segment during the Longmont preview. However, I do give Windsor the edge, since they'll probably have everything more figured out by that point in the season, before they go over to Loveland. Now, the Red Wolves are losing Garrett Harstad, their leading rusher along with their leading receiver and 10 of their top 13 tacklers. I can kind of see this going either way. Um, hmm. I may have to change my Longmont prediction as well. In any case, um, I think that at this point in the season, the Red Wolves won't still be riding that championship high. Um, I mean, they didn't even win the championship, but it's that runner-up high. Um, and it's tough, because... Yeah, yeah, this one will be really tough. Um, then we have Grand Junction Central. Uh, GJCHS went 3-8 and eight last year, but they had some good performances against good teams, make the playoffs. Um... They only lost to Windsor by a score, which was powered by Devin Hickey, by Devin Hickey sorry, and Jackson Gone. Uh, they are losing all-PMC tight end Cash, Wash, Cash Walker, who was a three-star in our top five seniors list, uh, along with their QB, three leading rushers, their four leading receivers, their punter, and ten of their top 13 tacklers. Both of the players who had sacks and four of the six who had an interception. As of now, I see this going Windsor's way. And honestly, looking at the playoffs for Windsor, I can see them, if the chips fall right, making a push into the Elite Eight. Maybe even to the championship. I mean, they haven't been there since the Brad Peoples era. But honestly, looking at their schedule, I have a minimum, minimum of 6-4 and four, and a maximum of 9-1. and one with the only loss that I really can like say is certain on the schedule being against Erie. So Windsor, I feel pretty solid about. And then we go over to Bear Creek, who has met Windsor for the past two years in the playoffs. Uh, last year, Bear Creek, uh, they went 6-4 and four in the regular season, 0-1 in the playoffs. Uh, they went on a four-game win streak to start the season against Lakewood, Greeley West, Kennedy, and Thomas Jefferson before losing to Fruita Monument, 31-27, uh, losing to Golden, 27-12, and losing to Dakota Ridge, before winning against Grand Junction and Stanley Lake, losing to Ponderosa, and then losing to Windsor in the first round of the playoffs. However, they were without Adrian Rico. I'll explain that in a second. So they had a good season. Uh, and, like... Yeah, as I said, they were pretty, pretty solid throughout the year. Uh, they did lose Rico, 
who was seventh in Colorado in pass yards uh, to injury. But I honestly think that Jojo Hernandez filled in pretty well, which I'll cover again later. And so now let's go over what coach Matthew Steinfeld will have to replace next season. Starting with Steve Campos. Campos was the leading rusher for the Bears with 634 yards, five rushing touchdowns, and 52 receiving yards with a touchdown uh, in this season. Then we have Elijah Thomas Jr. Thomas Jr. is probably going to be the largest piece that is leasing, that is leaving for the Bears. Uh, Thomas Jr. is going to Colorado Mesa, and he was their leading receiver with 853 yards and eight receiving touchdowns. And, I mean... He was that big body receiver that you want. He was six foot three, 165, so he's going to be difficult to replace. Uh, then you have Jerry Torres. Torres was the Bears' fourth receiver with 297 yards and six receiving touchdowns. Uh, he also had 58 tackles, two of which were, were for loss, a hurry, six pass deflections, and a fumble recovery. Uh, for the amount that he was able to do, he was one of those small, fast players. Uh, he was standing at 5'7", 130. So being able to get 58 tackles is a pretty big... It's big for somebody his size, so good job. Good job. And uh, then we have Eddie Cabello, who was starting at center. Uh, Lucas DeFoya and Chris Mays. Mays was 6'5", 280. And they'll all be big pieces of the offensive line that'll be gone. Uh, they're graduating seven of their top 13 tacklers. So not including the guys we talked about earlier. You've got Josh Cordova Jr., who had 92 tackles, four tackles for loss, an interception, a blocked field goal, and five pass deflections. You've got Marcus Martinez, who was my defensive playmaker of the game pick for that game against Windsor, but had 78 tackles, six tackles for loss, a sack and a half, four hurries, a pass deflection, and two forced fumbles last year. Uh, you've got Jeremy Vasquez, who had 66 tackles, three interceptions, and seven pass deflections. Uh, you've got Mays, who we mentioned earlier, with 36 tackles, five for loss, a sack, seven hurries, and a blocked field goal. While Tafoya had 34 tackles, one for loss, eight hurries, and a pass deflection. And then to close it out, you have Julian Chacon, who had 33 tackles, a tackle for loss, and two hurries on the year. And on to their returning key players. You have Adrian Rico, the senior, who is poised to be one of the best quarterbacks in the state next year. Despite being 5'10", the quarterback was able to throw for 2,605 yards and 28 touchdowns to 11 interceptions along with getting a rushing touchdown. He had an all-around QBR of 102.7 and should be piloting the ship along with the other half of the BC dynamic duo, which is Ryan Bobick. Bobick had 748 receiving yards and 8 receiving scores last year, and these two are honestly poised to take the state by storm. Bobick was a two-way beast as well, having 29 tackles to go with two interceptions, six pass deflections, and a forced fumble. Then we have Jojo Hernandez, where in the case that Rico gets hurt again, the Bears are not in bad shape. Hernandez played a single game at QB last year, and it was against Windsor in the playoffs. He did throw an interception, but he also 
went 16 for 24 for 228 yards, along with rushing for 144 yards in that same game. Again, let me reiterate this. He got almost 400 yards in his first game, played a quarterback, and got the only score that Bear Creek had in that game, which, by the way, was a playoff game. I do think that Hernandez will inherit the QB position after Rico graduates, and he'll probably get some snaps in blowout fourth quarters to try to keep developing. I think that's probably the smart move with him, but we'll see how it goes for him. Uh, then we've got Cinco Perez, who was the second rusher for Bear Creek last year, with 270 yards and a touchdown. He also had six tackles in a hurry. You've got Mason Rodriguez, who is the only other returning rusher with 100-plus yards. He had 103 rushing yards and 30 tackles on the year. You've got Isaiah Phelps, who's the second returning receiver, who had 590 yards and four receiving touchdowns. Uh, Keelan Flanagan is the final offensive piece returning, who had 178 receiving yards. Uh, looking at the line, you're going to have Ezra Pacheco, who is a 6'2", 200 senior. Aiden Genero, who's a 6'1", 193 tackle slash tight end. Uh, Damari Russell, 6'4", 220 senior guard. Jack Colbert, the 600 the not 600 six foot three 205 uh, linebacker slash guard and ivan martinez the 62 275 pound guard who will all be returning to shore up that line uh, then we've got ben ianotti will be returning as the leading tackler with 96 five tackles for loss a sack and a half six hurries an interception and a pass deflection We've got Emilio Mendoza, who was the second leading tackler last year with 95, four tackles for loss, two hurries, an interception, a pass deflection, and two forced fumbles. Uh, Pacheco, who we mentioned earlier, had 69 tackles, seven for loss, 13 hurries, which will be interesting to see how that goes this year, three pass deflections, and two fumble recoveries. We'll see if he can turn any of those hurries into sacks. Uh, Colbert also had 61 tackles, uh, three tackles for loss, a sack, two hurries, a pass deflection, a forced fumble, and three recoveries. Uh, the rest of the returners had 132 tackles combined. And then you have AJ Garcia, who's going to be the Bears kicker, who tallied 2,559 kickoff yards and 51 kickoffs, averaging 50 yards per, and went 24 of 31 on PATs. If he gets that PAT ratio a little bit higher, I can see Garcia vying for one of those two all-PMC kicker spots. Now, looking at the window of wins for Bear Creek. Now, Lakewood hasn't been over 500 since 2018 with the current coaching staff, and they went winless last year. Uh, Cody went over them in one of his other previews, and honestly, I agree with his assessment. Against a good team like Bear Creek, I don't see this working for Lakewood, so I see a Bear Creek win. The same deal with Greeley West, I ex and yeah, the same goes for the Spartans. I expect the game against Kennedy to be closer than last year, but still a win. Uh, I, I, I think Damari Reynolds will get a little bit more comfortable with the squad, but Kennedy is losing Isaac Cisneros, who is their QB and leading rusher. Their next three rushers... 
their six leading receivers and seven of their top 13 tacklers. Keep in mind, though, this was a top-heavy defense. Uh, the opposite of, of Windsor, actually. Their 13th tackler had 16. So I see the Bears mauling the commanders here. Then Bear Creek will face Thomas Jefferson at home. Or I think it'll be closer, but Bear Creek will win. Uh, I have no idea what to make of Thomas Jefferson's stats or Max Prep's page. But ultimately, Herbal Martin is gone. Uh, Dimitri Haralembopoulos, I hope I said that right, uh, will likely improve. But as a starting QB, he only had 194 pass yards last year. Less than Jojo Hernandez had in the one uh, game against Windsor. I mean, honestly, they're Bear Creek's polar opposites. I'll give it to Bear Creek since they have a bit more of a dynamic offense, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, then we'll get to the league part of their season, I believe, uh, where we have Fruit of Monument, which I think is going to be closer. Uh, they are graduating their QB, but I mean, it's not like it's Columbine's QB, but they're a run-heavy team. Uh, the more important loss is Luke Bennett and nine of their top 10 tacklers. I think this will give Bear Creek the edge. Uh, just going to go back and look at that game. Yeah, they only barely lost to that Fruit of Monument team last year. And with them losing ten of the uh, nine of their top 10, I don't see that going well. Then they'll be going over to Golden, where despite the Demons losing Giselle Riley the fourth, they do have a good QB lined up in Kalen Hufford, who went 21 of 36 last year. They'll be losing a lot of tackles, but only seven of their top 13. However, they're also losing their punters. I think it'll be interesting, but I think it'll be too close to call as of now. Dakota Ridge is the first game I think is going to be a loss more times than not for Bear Creek. I mean, the Eagles lost Noah Triplett, but are retaining Blake Palladino and Connor Swanson. So it'll be tough, but I see Dakota Ridge winning more often than not. Uh, before they go over to Bear Creek, which, I mean, they will probably be continued, uh, improved next year, sorry, under the development of Tanner Rorig and Will Applegate, but they, I don't think they'll have what it takes to take down Bear Creek before that matchup against Stanley Lake in what I think will be a really good game. Uh, Stanley Lake was a playoff team last year, but they're losing their three leading receivers, but, I mean, they don't throw much. They're losing their top four tacklers and nine of their top 13. But I think they should still be solid. I think this will be a close game. But I'll give Bear Creek a slight edge. Not enough to say they'll win, though. Um, and then, finally, we have Ponderosa. Uh, Pondo's graduating. Uh, Zach Stryker, who is their QB and leading rusher. Uh and then they're leading non-striker rusher as well. They're leading receiver, their kickers, and punter, along with eight of their top 13 tacklers, which includes DPOY finalist Kate Olson, who had 177 tackles, which is honestly more than some teams had all year. Uh, this is another game that I think will be closer, but with a healthy Adrian Rico, I think it'll be much more interesting than last year, at least. I mean, all in all, I think Bear Creek, much like Windsor, could go anywhere between 6-4 and four, 9 and 9-1. That 9-1 and one is the result of the biggest boom possible, though. 
And I think the more realistic result is closer to seven and three. Um, yeah, bet between Golden, Stanley Lake, and Ponderosa, I think they either go two and one and one and or one and two in those. But I mean, that's what the window of wins is for. <laughs> uh, yeah, ultimately, good luck, Bears, and on to the next Prospect Ridge Academy. Before I begin. I would like to say hi to all my people from Prospect Ridge that are listening to this. I like you guys, you seem like good people, and I really hope you do well this season. Know that I am not saying any of what I'm about to say out of malice, I'm just saying it as I see it. And shout out to my guys Chase and Luis, y'all are cool dudes. Now, onto the body of this, I, I feel bad for Prospect Ridge. Only once in the past seven seasons of their existence have they had more than two wins. And that was their second year where they had three. And I really hope they turn it around this year because last year was not it. They opened the year with a loss to Arvada and then Faith Christian before playing the Timnath Cubs in week three. And they won that matchup 21-3. to They then went winless for the rest of the year. Um where the only game they were in was Manitou, but I was there, and the reason they came back was because Manitou's JV was in the entire second half. So I honestly don't kind of count that. They lost against Bennett, Wellington, Valley, Davlin, and Platte Valley to close out Mike Storr's sixth season as head coach. I really hope that Platte Valley can put it together this year, but let's take a look at what Coach Store has to replace entering year seven. First, we have Elik Kravnik. Elik Kravnik was one of PRA's quarterbacks last year. He had 457 yards on 53 completions with a two touchdown to eight interception ratio. Uh, his QBR was 31.1, but I mean, having a senior quarterback who has been in the system is always good for continuity's sake. He was also the second leading rusher with 73 yards and three rushing touchdowns, along with being the fourth leading receiver with 145 receiving yards and a touchdown in the air. Further, he had 25 tackles, two interceptions, and a fumble recovery. Then we have Luis Diaz. Uh, Luis was the leading receiver for this minor team uh, with 401 receiving yards, three receiving touchdowns, and 143 kick return yards. They are only graduating six of their top 13 tacklers, including Teddy Cundiff. Uh, he was the top tackler last year with 60, one tackle for loss, a sack and a half, a hurry, and two forced fumbles. He also had 422 punt yards with 28 yards a punt. Uh, then we have Ashton Leroy. He was a six-foot, 185-pound lineman who had the second most tackles last year with 46. He also had three sacks and a hurry. And then we have Chase Schaefer. Schaefer was the third tackler for the Miners with 44 tackles, three tackles for loss, two sacks, four hurries, two interceptions, a forced fumble, and two fumble recoveries. Finally, we have Wyatt Hutchinson and Tanner Jensen, who had 29 tackles, two hurries, a forced fumble, and a pass deflection between them. So those are all the like impact graduating seniors. And on to the returning key players. 
which is most of this squad, actually. So we have quarterback Chase Knopf. Uh, Knopf had a Playmaker of the Game award for his performance against Manitou last season, along with a pretty solid campaign. Uh, he had 581 passing yards on 59 completions, a 5-touchdown to 6-interception ratio, a QBR of 53.7, 6 tackles, and a pass deflection. All around, I think that Knopf is going to be the deciding factor for if this team succeeds or fails next year. Because if he can get a positive touchdown-to-interception ratio, then this team is going to be in much, much better shape. Uh, then we have Torin Bennett. Bennett was the leading rusher for this team last year with 310 yards, two rushing touchdowns, 154 receiving yards, a receiving touchdown, 331 kick return yards with 29 punt return yards, 22 tackles, half a sack, and a hurry. Then we have a junior in Travis Agboss. Uh, Agboss was the second leading receiver last year with 225 receiving yards, a touchdown, and 103 kick return yards. The 6-foot, 170-pound tight end also had two tackles. Uh, then we have Brady McKenney, uh, who was also a junior. Uh, McKenney had 44 tackles, 6 tackles for loss, 2 hurries, a pass deflection, and 2 fumble recoveries for 85 yards. Uh, McKenney also had 440 yards on 20 kickoffs for an average of 22 yards per kickoff, and he had 6 punts for 140 yards. Then we have another junior, uh, Vincente Aguilera. Uh, Aguilera had 43 tackles, a tackle for loss, a hurry, and two fumble recoveries. We've got Zachary Deke, uh, or Deke. Uh, Deke had 37 tackles, a hurry, a pass deflection, and an interception. Uh, we have an incoming sophomore in Toby Barnett, who had 22 tackles, half sack, a hurry, a pass deflection, and an interception. And then we have Sebastian Diaz, Machan Puga, and Arnav Sudhir, uh, all of which are going to be juniors this year, who had 38 tackles and a hurry between them to round out the top 13 tacklers. And then Sudhir also went 3 for 4 on point after attempts this season. And so, I want to be completely clear here, um, and just honest. I do not see Prospect Ridge as a playoff team. Maybe if every single player on the team played to their full potential, maybe in a 4A or 5A format with more teams, but not in a 16-team bracket. I think they can disrupt, and I think they can win the right games to potentially keep other teams out of the playoffs, or make games close enough to spoil a team's RPI and max preps ranking, but that's about it. Now, there's no shame in that. This, this will be That would be the best they've been as a program in their existence. And I think they'll have their first chance at that against the Arvada Bulldogs. Now, last year, Arvada was a solid team. Um, I believe they were either 4-5 and five or 5-4. Five and four. And they only beat PRA by two scores last year. Um, now, they are keeping a lot of their guys, though. Uh, so... They're keeping a lot of their offensive skill guys, and they're only losing four of their top 13 tacklers. And so Arvada are poised to make a playoff run next year, so I think the Bulldogs will probably reveal on this Rock Candy Mountain. Uh, next we have the Forge Christian Fury, which I have one quick thing about that. 
uh, one might wonder who's Forge Christian. It's rebranded Faith Christian. And if you want to find out about that, uh, you might want to Google that because uh, it is a heck of a rabbit hole. Um, and it, it, it's it's not funny, but it's funny. It, like I was doing my research and I found out about it and it was something interesting. Kind of a weird side tangent. Uh, it is kind of weird that um, Fury is their mascot when they're still a Christian school and Wrath is one of the seven deadly sins. In any case, uh, <laughs> all that aside, uh, given that Forge Christian is retaining 95% of Faith Christian's student body, we'll assume that they keep most of the team. Uh, Forge Christian is losing their QB in Jack Malden, uh, their second leading rusher, and only four of their top 13 tacklers. I, I do think this will be closer than last year again, but I give this to Forge Christian right now. Uh, then we have Timnath, which is another game that should be close. Uh, the Cubs are losing literally nobody and should be a good team. Uh, Vince Hochhalter's Cubs will make this at least closer than last year, and I'll say it can go either way. Um, Manitou is another game that should be better than last year, and given how it went, I do think Manitou is getting better more than PRA is getting better. Uh, so PRA will likely lose again. Bennett, on the other hand, they're interesting. Um, they're losing their QB. They're leading three rushers, including op Offensive Playmaker of the Year finalist Connor Rayburn, eight of their top 13 tacklers, and their punter. I think this will be decently close, at least better than the 68-0 mauling that Prospect Ridge suffered last year. But... I think this one could honestly be a winnable game, depending on how their momentum is carrying them. Uh, then we have Wellington, uh, which I think is actually going to be pretty similar in terms of circumstance. Uh, so, yeah, I I think Wellington is another winnable game, but I think that Wellington will probably win. Again, they're losing next to nobody. Uh, then we have the Valley Vikings. Uh, Valley's only losing five of their top 13 tacklers, and not much else. Most of their dudes are staying, except for their punter and Blake Herman. Uh, and given how bad Valley beat PRA last year, I do not see this going particularly well for the Miners. Um, and then, then they're going to be playing to Evelyn, which they are losing a lot more. And he, here I think they could sneak another win. Um... I, yeah, I can see them pulling a surprise win here. Because they're losing the Bushlack brothers, Gabe Jackson, Aiden Morris, and six of their leading tacklers. I do think this will be a much closer game than last year. And depending on how the chips fall, I see a couple of worlds where, PR, where PRA pulls a win. Um, and then to close out the season, they'll be playing against Platte Valley, which depending on how Platte Valley's season goes, because I'll, I'll talk about them later as well, because I see two potential seasons for them. I couldn't see that being another closer game. Uh, the Broncos are losing Logan Cogburn, five of their top tacklers, Ethan Johnson, and Justin Fanbecker. Uh, so ultimately, this highly depends on how Howdy Johnson develops, uh, if he's able to stay healthy. And then I think this could, yeah, I think this could swing either way, where depending on how Platte Valley's season is going, we could see, like, a Kenny Lofton Jr. scoring 42 points, and 
Prospect Ridge pulls out a win. So, ultimately, I feel bad saying this. Like, I, I don't want you guys to have a bad year. I don't want you guys to think I want you to have a bad year. This is just looking at the guys you have and how this team did last year. And honestly, this could be as low as a zero win season and as high as like three or four wins. Um, and those three or four wins are against like kind of okay at best teams. Please remember that this isn't hating, but like looking at it, Timnath, see how Bel uh, Bennett's season goes. Devlin and see how Platte Valley season goes. I, I think the most realistic is either another one and eight or two and seven season. Like I want you guys to prove me wrong, but looking at it, that's just how I see it right now. So best of luck to everyone at Prospect Ridge up in Broomfield. I hope you have a good year, but that's just how I'm seeing it. All right, then we have Flatirons Academy. Uh, last year, the Bison were able to go 7-2. and two. Uh, They went 0-1 in the playoffs. Uh, as a 16 seed, they met Lyman first round. So you can probably guess how that went. Uh, and honestly, this year was a return to form for the Flatirons Academy Bison, uh, getting back to the playoffs. After missing them, after making the championship back in 2021, uh, they opened the season with a close, close loss to the Colorado Springs Christian Lions before winning convincingly against Black Canyon. They then won by forfeit for the first time of two this season against Jefferson. Uh, these two forfeit wins are what makes it kind of surprising they made it into the playoffs, but that's beside the point. They were then wrangled by the Denver West Cowboys 14-10, Bounced back against the Pinnacle to begin league play. Uh, they beat Manuel handily before winning by forfeit over Sheridan. And then they beat Highland in an absolute overtime thriller and beat Estes Park the following week to secure the 16 seed and the honor of getting whooped by Lyman in the first round. Now let's see what the Bison are losing heading into next year and what all around they're going to need to make up for. Uh, first, we have Nolan Shepard. Shepard was the starting quarterback for the Bison for most of the season. He had 324 pass yards on 21 completions with a 37.5 completion percentage. He had two pass touchdowns to three interceptions and a QBR of 47. Shepard also had 798 rush yards, 14 rush touchdowns, 26 tackles, three for loss, an interception, three pass deflections, and a fumble recovery. And they also have Devin Glowicki. Uh, Glowicki is going to the Concordia University Wisconsin football team. Uh, and I did hear uh, from him that he is recovering from an ACL tear, I believe. So I really hope that you are doing well, Devin, and I hope that you recover quickly. But uh, Glowicki, he had 760 rush yards, seven rushing touchdowns, 109 receiving yards, a receiving touchdown. 51 tackles, 2 for loss, 3 interceptions for 183 yards, 6 pass deflections, and both a forced fumble and a fumble recovery. Uh, then we have Michael Kingery. Uh, Kingery was the other starting QB for the Bison 
with 124 pass yards, a passing touchdown, an interception, and a QBR of 116.7. He also had 30 rush yards, 123 receiving yards, a receiving touchdown, three pass deflections, a sack, 23 tackles, and a tackle for loss. Then we have Elijah Rubel. Uh, Rubel was the Bisons' leading receiver with 173 yards, a touchdown, 18 tackles, four interceptions for 68 yards, four pass deflections, and a fumble recovery for 20 yards. Now we've got Josiah Durrell. Uh, Durrell was the Bisons' second leading tackler with 50 last year and was the team leader in tackles for loss with nine. He also had two sacks and six hurries to go with four pass deflections, two forced fumbles, and a fumble recovery. Uh, and then finally, we have Jonah Elstad. Uh, Elstad, he was Flatirons Academy's only All-PMC player last year, being one of our All-PMC kickers for 1A. Uh, he honestly saved Flatiron season in all with a 42-yard field goal make to go along with t- going 21 for 23 on PATs for the year. That uh, 42 yarder being one of seven of the seven field goals that uh, that he made out of attempts. Uh, he had 378 yards on 14 punts and over 2,054 yards on 36 kickoffs, 23 of which were touchbacks. Uh, Elstad averaged over 57 yards per kickoff, which has him in the top 15 in kickoff average in the state. And honestly, if he wasn't already committed to Colorado Mesa for soccer, I think he'd be a good college kicker. Uh, and then Darrell was also the starting center. And yeah, those are all six of the graduating seniors. So they don't really, they aren't losing too much in terms of roster numbers, but in terms of the amount of production that the Bison are losing, they're losing a lot. <laughs> and so let's look at their key returners. Uh, so you have Elijah Rika, who's going to be a sophomore who's going to be the leading returning rusher, who had 117 rush yards last year. Then you have a junior in Noah Evans, who's going to be the leading returning receiver with 55 receiving yards, 64 kick return yards, 11 tackles, an interception for 32 yards, a pass deflection, a forced fumble, and a recovery. Then you've got Rex Beck. Beck had 37 rush yards, 46 kick return yards, 37 tackles, a tackle for loss, an interception for seven yards, a pass deflection, and a fumble recovery. Uh, Judah Burgess, he uh, he's another junior who had 17 rush yards, 17 punt return yards, 37 tackles, a tackle for loss, two interceptions for 36 yards, and four pass deflections. And then, uh, yeah, continuing with the roster review, we have uh, the Osterman brothers. Uh, Steven Osterman, who is the elder of the two, he's a senior this year. He had 25 tackles, 4 tackles for loss, a sack, a hurry, and 2 forced fumbles. Then we have Sean Osterman. Uh, So he's actually the larger of the two brothers, but he had 14 tackles, 2 for loss, a hurry, a forced fumble, and a fumble recovery. Then we have Jackson Hankst. Hankst had 21 tackles, a third of which were for loss, 2 sacks, 3 hurries, 2 forced fumbles, and a fumble recovery. We've got Parker Wilson. Parker Wilson had 14 tackles, half a sack, two hurries, and two fumble recoveries. And then we have Ryan Coulter. Coulter was the team's sack leader with three. He had 13 tackles, a pass deflection, and a fumble recovery. 
And then we have a senior in James Broadworth, who should be one of the Bison's top returning linemen at 6'2", 180. Tackles play is going to be really integral to the success of the next QB in Westminster, along with the Osterman brothers and Luis Mandel. So looking at their schedule this year, uh, one thing is for sure, and that's that Flatirons cannot rely on two forfeit wins again this season. First, they're going to be playing Colorado Springs Christian. The thing is that despite the Lions' Cinderella run to the Final Four last year, which they should be proud of, I do not see them beating Flatirons. CSCS is losing more, and I'm not sure how they're going to fill in for DPOY winner Nathaniel Tunnison. Uh, although the Lions have Jace Velasquez for two more years, they're losing their top three rushers, their top four receivers, 11 of their top 13 tacklers, 11 of 15 players that had tackles for loss, their top six guys with sacks, every player with an interception, and both their kickers and punters for good measure. I mean, that is a lot of production that's crossing the stage. And so CSCS is going to be really depleted. I see the Bison pulling a Mufasa, if I'm being completely honest, in week one. Uh, then they'll be traveling to Bailey to play Platte Canyon the next week. The only real losses that the Huskies have is David Fouts on offense and Colton Brown on defense. Uh, the Huskies are a team on the rise, and I see this being much closer than last year. Uh, I do have Platte Canyon winning this as of now, but just slightly. Um, I have it as another T on my scale. Next, the Jefferson Saints will come to town, which should be a win for Flatirons. Despite the ascension of Demetrius Martinez, the loss of players like DPOY finalists Sebastian Torres, Usher Payne, and Damian Worthy means that Jefferson, an already struggling team, will have to rely much more on young talent. And this is a team that might contend next year, or the year after, but probably not this year. Then comes Denver West. Uh, Denver West was a score away from winning three games, uh, three separate games, which could have had them at 5-4 and four instead of 2-7. and seven. However, they did go 2-7, and seven, leaving their young core, I believe, hungry. Uh, only one player who touched the ball on offense, Carlos Suazo, is graduated. And only four of their top 13 tacklers have graduated. And I do think the Denver West is trending up. And so I'm not sure that Flatirons is going to have enough to match them here, especially given that Denver West was able to edge them last year. Next, we have the Wolves of the Pinnacle, who another team who only won two games last year, uh, one of which was a forfeit uh, further. They're losing their quarterback, their offensive playmaker, the year finalist, Noah Estes, and eight of their top 13 tacklers. As such, I'm not sure if the Pinnacle will win this one, especially given what happened last year. Then we have the Manual Thunderbolts. Uh, Manual was a really solid team last year, being just outside of the playoff bubble at 5-4. and four. They're keeping their QB, their top rusher, their top receiver in Diamante Maynard, and are keeping nine of their top 13 tacklers, meaning that this team is probably going to keep getting better. I mean, Flatirons only beat Manuel by 16 last year, so I can see the Thunderbolts making this much closer with how much they're retaining and how much the Bison are losing. So I guess you could say the Bison might be Thunderstruck. Then we have Sheridan. Uh, 
the Rams forfeit the last five games of last season. So I'm going to assume that's a win. And so then, then the Bison are going to be playing Highland, which is a team that this particular squad has a lot of history with. So the past two years, the games between the Bison and the Huskies have been a slugfest and ultimately have been determining who gets a spot in the playoffs. However, much like Manuel, Highland is only really losing one piece in their skill offensive positions in Josh Delaney and all PMC linemen in Wyatt Woods and one of their top 13 tacklers. I see Highland as a vastly improved team next year, so I see the Huskies mushing the Bison when when it comes down to it. Because the Bison needed every ounce of what those seniors had last year. And without those guys, those guys were the main difference makers. So I see Highland retaining a lot more of their dudes. And then finally, we do have the Estes Park Panthers. Uh, Estes Park went 7-2 and two and somehow missed the playoffs last year, which means that they are going to be really hungry. Uh, Estes Park is likely to be another contender for state in this league alone because they have 1A MVP finalist Ryland Reitz, the, Op- the Opoy finalist Jose Gonzalez, and they're just gearing up for another run. Uh, they're retaining 270 tackles, 6 sacks, and 8 interceptions. And I do think that this is going to be a game that Flatirons drops. Uh, I mean, worst case scenario for the Bison, I see this team going 4-5. and five. Uh, Best case, this is going to be a 6-3 and three season. I think 5-4 and four is much more realistic. Because, I mean, looking at... Looking at the games against Platte Canyon and Manuel, I think they go one and one in that. I don't think they lose both. And so ultimately, I mean, best luck to the Bison. I hope you're having a good summer, and I can't wait to see what you do next year. Hope you have a good one, and on to the Highland Huskies. So last season was a bit rough for the Highland Huskies. I mean, they very well may have been just a score and a field goal away from the playoffs due to seeding rules when it comes to who wins a league, but they were also pretty far outside of that bubble if you ignore the context of a league championship. They opened the season on a 0-4 skid against eventual state runner-up Ray and 1A DPOI finalist Tel Wade, then they went up against 2A MVP Cash Altschwager and the Wellington Eagles then the Kent Denver Sun Devils, and then second round appearance University Bulldogs, who honestly were pretty solid last year. They then upset the heavily favored Estes Park Panthers and Ryland Reese, which did give them a big boost in their RPI, before winning by forfeit over Sheridan. They beat the Pinnacle in an extremely low-scoring game, before falling to Flatirons Academy in what was honestly my most entertaining game of the season, and the determining factor behind who in 1A League 6 made the playoffs. I mean, the Huskies still had a chance, but they did lose to Manuel, uh, and they lost to him by a safety, and their season ended there. Uh, Since October, uh, when they ended their season, um, yeah, 3 and 6 is how they ended their season, they have also pulled over an assistant coach from the Eaton Reds, uh, Daniel Ailman. So, I mean, Eaton is a very, 
very winning program, so it will be interesting to see what Ailman does for this honestly just solid squad. So, looking at what Ailman's going to be losing heading into next year, they're only graduating three seniors. Um, well, three that had stats and that were pretty notable. Um, I know that uh, one of the Steinke brothers is also graduating, uh, but they didn't really touch the field much. So, first, we have Josh Delaney, who was the second leading rusher for the Huskies last year with 195 rush yards, a touchdown, along with 140 receiving yards and a receiving touchdown. He also had 65 tackles, three and a half for loss, two pass breakups, and a fumble recovery to go with 107 kick return yards. Then we have Carter Jennings, sorry Carter, <laughs> who was the leading tackler for Highland last year with 81, eight tackles for loss, three sacks, and a pass deflection. He was also starting on the offensive line. And then we have uh, Wyatt Woods. Wyatt Woods was Highland's sole All-PMC player last year, uh, largely due to his grit and dexterity. He did miss two games with a broken arm, but he played a decent portion of the season, especially the, the game where he caught my eye was that Flatirons Academy game. And he, with a pass, with that cast on, blocked a punt. And then like, he, he was just, like, his grit and determination was just insane. He ultimately had 36 tackles, 10 of which were for loss, uh, two sacks, a hurry, and was the team's kicker with 669 yards on 19 kickoffs, which is quite nice. And so those are the graduating seniors, all three of them, which I think their loss is going to be felt, but they're not the worst players in the world to lose. They're all really, really good, and they're all skilled skilled guys who made their impact felt. But you're retaining a lot on both sides of the ball. So looking at the returning key players, first we have a junior, John Bingley, who will be this team's quarterback to start the season since he started most of last year. He had 607 yards and five touchdowns. But I hope his decision-making improves because he also threw nine interceptions, which contributed to his QBR being 43.6. Uh, he also had 125 rush yards and three rushing touchdowns to go with 13 tackles, an interception, and five pass breakups. Then we have Isaac DeSantiago. Uh, DeSantiago will likely be the main offensive piece for Highland next year, and I mean, that is assuming that they keep it like they did last year. I mean, DeSantiago was the Huskies' leading rusher with 589 rush yards, three touchdowns, 142 receiving yards with two touchdowns, 32 tackles, a tackle and a half for loss, 216 kick return yards, half a sack, and three pass breakups. Uh, DeSantiago is a an, an arguable watch list guy. I'm going to talk to the to the guys about him but he might spot he might vie for an all pmc spot if the chips fall in his favor then we have brogan palmer uh, as a soft he'll be a sophomore this year last year he was a newcomer of the year finalist in 1a and is probably going to be a watchlist tight end overall uh, he's 6'4 206 by the way so 
he, he's going to be really solid. Uh, he was a favorite tar. He was the favorite target of Bingley last year. He had, I, I want to say over half. Uh, oh no, he, he had roughly a third of Bingley's pass yards, accruing 229, uh, two receiving touchdowns. He also had 39 tackles, five and a half tackles for loss, two sacks, three hurries, and four pass breakups. And yeah, he, Brogan Palmer is going to be someone to watch. I, I know this is one of those things where I'm going to say it and some people are going to be like, well, he goes to a 1A school, but he is skilled. He's got size. He has everything that you can't teach. He is aggressive, and I can't wait to see how this goes for him moving forward. Uh, then we have DeAndre DeHoyos. Uh, he was Highland's fourth receiver last year with 96 receiving yards, 96 kick return yards, 13 rush yards, 54 tackles, and a tackle for loss. Uh, Shane Spirak Jr., he had 75 receiving yards, 20 kick return yards, 32 tackles, 2.5 for loss, two interceptions, a pass deflection, and a forced fumble. Uh, Tyler Vara had 50 receiving yards, a receiving touchdown, 36 tackles, a tackle for loss, an interception, and five pass deflections. Then going to guys who are strictly defense, uh, we have Iris Sittner, who will be the leading returning tackler and the kickoff guy for the Huskies next year. He had 67 tackles, a tackle for loss, and a half, sorry, a half a sack, two hurries, two pass deflections, fumble recovery, and 238 yards on six kickoffs with an average of about 40 yards per. Then we will have Dante Palmer, who will be the top returning pass rusher with three and a half sacks, four hurries, 32 tackles, and four and a half tackles for loss. Uh, Hunter Dyer Lopez, DJ Rogers, uh, both of those guys are juniors. Uh, Jacob Delaney, he's a senior, but those three share ten and a half tackles for loss between them. Uh, Dyer Lopez had eight, 64 tackles, a sack, five hurries, and two forced fumbles between them. And then on the rare occasion that Highland kicks PATs or field goal attempts, it seems that Laura Pennington will likely be the one that the Huskies send out, given that she was the one that attempted the only PATs by Highland last year. And so, looking at their schedule for next year to determine their window of wins, Highland only has six games listed on the roster, uh, not not listed on the roster, listed on the max prep schedule, sorry. Um, but these games do match the order and spacing from last year, so I'm going to assume that the rest of the schedule is the same, just location flipped. Uh, again, this is a partial schedule, so I may be wrong, but we'll see how this goes. Uh, so the Huskies will start their season in Ray, which should be a little bit closer than last year. Uh, coming off of the state championship, the Eagles are cha championship appearance. They didn't win, but they are losing their DPOI candidate and Wyoming commit Tell Wade. He was also one of our top five edge rushers. I believe he was number five, and I do think we ended up rating him a four star on our scale. Now uh, they're also losing their top four receivers their RB1, and eight of their top 13 tacklers, five of the seven players with a sack, and six interceptions. However, they are keeping Sam Meisner and Casey Midcap. So, I mean, Ray is losing a lot, and Highland is getting much, much, much better. 
However, I mean, looking at their schedule from last year and how bad they lost this, I mean, when, when you're looking at a contending team that was in the state championship that beat you 46-0 to last year, it'll take a lot to win that game. So I, I think that Ray Witz wins this as of now, but it could be close and Highland might be able to win. But Ray wins about 60% of the time. Wellington is going to be weird. And that, that's because they're losing only one player, and that is a guy who would come in and kick for them sometimes. And that's because he was an exchange student from Spain. Uh, so, I, I mean, th this will be a close game as well. But I think with Tanner Gray having time to develop his arm and Cash Alschfacher is only going to keep getting better, I do see the Eagles winning this matchup. Uh, and then we have Kent Denver, which I think if if Highland hasn't gotten a win by this point, this will be their first. Um, the Sun Devils are losing nine seniors and were, to put it nicely, hot mid last year. So I see the improved Huskies taking them down pretty easily. I mean, especially because looking at the score from last year, yeah, that isn't the best, but... I mean, also, Kent Denver isn't inputting any stats, and a team that doesn't input stats and has a losing record like that, I see as kind of being lazy. And lazy teams don't often pick up wins against teams like Highland, which I know are bringing in championship talent and only getting better. So, I see the improved Huskies winning. Then there's University, which will be tough, since they did win a playoff game last season. Uh, on offense, the Bulldogs are retaining almost everyone, but but their receiving core, uh, a bunch of their receivers are graduating, and they're keeping a lot of defensive pieces as well. I think I see this, I, I hate to sound like a broken record, but this will be closer than last year, but not close enough to call it a win. Uh, but, I mean... Then Highland, like Highland has a good strength of schedule. They are playing some tough teams and they're playing a couple of, they're playing a bunch of two-way teams. Like they're playing Ray to start the season, which even scoring like two touchdowns will be an RPI boost. Wellington, you score a couple there, that'll be an RPI boost. Kent Denver, I think you win that. University, they're a traditionally strong two-way program. RPI boost if you can do well against them. So they're going to have a good strength of schedule. Uh, then here's where I think they're going to carve their road to the playoffs and where they're really going to test themselves. And where I think Highland might show themselves as being a potential contender if they do it right. Um, so they're going to face Ryland Reitz and Jose Gonzalez's Estes Park Panthers at home in their, to open their league schedule where I think they have a chance to repeat last year's win. I mean, this is due to the Huskies' continued improvement. Uh, however, similar to the Huskies, the Panthers aren't losing that much. So I'll call this a swing game. It'll be entertaining regardless, but I think Highland's going to have a pretty good chance there. Uh, then they'll play Sheridan, which should be a win, uh, followed by the Pinnacle, who are losing Noah Estes, uh, Noah Martinez, and most of their defense. Uh, the Wolves went 1-6 in playing games last year, 2-7 if we count the Sheridan forfeit. So I think Highland takes it. Uh, and then, then there's Flatirons Academy. I mean, Flatirons barely, barely won this game last year due to the heroics from Jonah Elstad 
and Devin Glowicki and Nolan Shepard. Um, but as I mentioned in their segment, Flyers Academy is losing the vast majority of their talent that played last year. And meanwhile, Highland are retaining a lot of that talent that are the reason they were in that game to begin with. So I think Flatirons are going to get herded back home before closing the game this season against Manuel. And now Manuel is another team that just barely beat Highland last year. And even though Manuel is losing almost as little as Highland, I can see it going either way. I mean, regardless, I see the team that makes the, that wins this matchup going to the playoffs. Uh, And and, I mean, Highland does have a weird schedule. And honestly, with the swing games that they have against Estes Park, Flatirons Academy, and Manual, they might go as little as 3-6. And And I... However, I see more realistic is either 5-4 or 6-3. They're going to be a much improved team. And... The worst I see them doing against Estes Park, Flatirons, and Manual, I see them winning at least one of those games. Um, however, I do think they'll win two of those. I can't say which two. So I think they'll go with two and one in that span, maybe a five and four record. But he, he, here's here's where we start to get to some, like a little mini rant that I have. Okay, so yeah, with the new coaching staff, everything is probably going to change. And, I mean, the only games I have them really, like, losing in my mind are a team that are the reigning state runner-up, a team that I think will make the two-way playoffs with one of the best players in the state, yes, I said that, and a consistent two-way playoff powerhouse. Even in those games, I can see Highland pulling pulling off a potential win, and the other team winning maybe 60 to 70% of the time. And that's still a quarter of the time that Highland does win. And now, regardless, I wish all the folks in all well this season, and I'll probably be at the manual game later. But he, he, here's where we have like a little, a little divergence. Um, you know, I'll I'll just talk about this later when because uh, the last team I talk about is going to be a two-way team. Just know that what I say later applies to all the 1A teams and the two, all, all the 1A and 2A teams that I talk about. But in any case, on to the reigning 2A state champions back to back to back. We have the 8-1, and 4-0 in playoffs, Eaton Reds, who, although they open the season with a loss, they spent most of the season absolutely dominating. But before we talk about that, let's talk about what Eaton did last year, which very, very few teams have done before. They became just the 13th school in Colorado football history to three-peat, joining Lyman, Cherry Creek, Akron, Palmer Ridge, Pueblo East, Palisade, Mullen, Sedgwick County, Stratton, Paxton, Simla, Hugo, and Arikari. And they are the seventh 11-man team to three-beat, and the first to ever do it in 2A. They did so by beating almost everyone in their way, again losing at the opener against the Classical Academy by a field goal, um, before tearing through every other team they met. They dismantled the University Bulldogs, 
broke the Platte Valley Broncos, speared the Severn Silver Knights, exploded the Steamboat Springs Sailors, exercised the Fort Lupton Blue Devils, pincered the Berthed Spartans, shot down the Faith Christian Eagles, put down the Academy Wildcats, tamed the Bennett Tigers, lassoed the Basalt Longhorns, and hunted the upstart Montezuma Cortez Panthers in the Final Four before battling the Delta Panthers in the championship before being able to win 21-10 in an absolutely dominant fashion. Now, they say never to doubt the heart of a champion, so let's see if the Reds need to worry next year. So, for graduating seniors, we first have Walker Martin, who, as I speak, was drafted 52nd overall to the San Francisco Giants of the MLB just two days ago, which is a testament to his athleticism. The 6'2", 175-pound quarterback threw for 2,076 pass yards, 34 touchdowns to 5 interceptions, and had a QBR of 135.6, along with 542 rush yards, excuse me, and 7 rushing touchdowns. He was the two-way player of the year, and the Reds will sorely miss him. He was also a finalist for our Offense Playmaker of the Year race, and one of our all-PMC quarterbacks, and his production will be extremely tough to match. Then we have Morgan Trebet, who is another college-bound red, as CSU has learned their lesson from not bringing on Austin Eckler, but grabbing Trebet. Trebet had 855 rush yards, 9 touchdowns, 167 receiving yards with 1 receiving touchdown, 103 tackles, 30 of which were for loss. You did not hear me wrong. 33-0 with 8 sacks and 3 fumble recoveries. He was an all-PMC player and a finalist in our Defensive Playmaker of the Year race. And then we have Zach Grable. Uh, Zach Grable could do it all. The Western Colorado commit was an all-PMC wide receiver, kicker, and punter. On offense, Grable had 657 receiving yards, 15 receiving touchdowns, 56 tackles, 2 tackles for loss, a sack, 2 interceptions, 2 pass deflections, 858 punt yards on 17 punts for 51 yards per, which was among the top in the nation. He also had 4,254 kickoff yards on 76 attempts, making him average 56 yards per kickoff. He also went 58 for 64 on PATs and 9 for 13 on field goal attempts with a maximum of 47 yards. I mean, overall, he was the team's leader in points on a team that had many, many talented athletes. Then we have Ryder True, who was one of our all-PMC linebacker selections last year due to his large role in the best defense in two-way. True had 118 tackles, four tackles for loss, three interceptions for 58 yards, two pass deflections, and a forced fumble. He also produced on offense with 350 rush yards, six rushing touchdowns, 218 receiving yards, and a receiving touchdown. Then we have Tate Smith 
who was the Reds' second leading receiver, with 429 receiving yards, seven receiving touchdowns, eight tackles, and two tackles for loss. Then we have Austin Martinez. Martinez was one of our all-PMC cornerbacks, with eight interceptions for 50 yards, including a huge one in the chip, which we know there's a controversy around, but it was called an interception. We have to leave that in the past. He also had two pass deflections, a force fumble, 25 tackles, 368 receiving yards, five receiving touchdowns, and 21 punt return yards. And then we have Trent Salberg, who was the last Red to be on an all-PMC team, again at cornerback. He had seven interceptions for 150 yards, four pass deflections, 43 tackles, 106 receiving yards, and three receiving touchdowns. We've got Court Sanger, who was the Reds' eighth tackler with 36, two tackles for loss, four pass deflections, a fumble recovery, and 45 receiving yards. And then finally, we close out their graduating seniors, all the guys going across the stage as champions in Jacob Webster, Tyler Beers, Noah Ewell, and Gerald Hembry, who had a sack, an interception, 10 pass deflections, of which Hembry had nine, 55 tackles, and nine tackles for loss between them. One of the best returning Reds is going to be senior D'Angelo Rosas, who was Eaton's second leading rusher last year with 571 rush yards and three rushing touchdowns. He is the speedy, catch the defense off guard, make them take tough decisions type of running back. And then we have junior Connor Davey, who's the other returning rusher, with 182 rush yards and a rushing touchdown. And then we have Joey Blaskowski, who is the leading returning receiver and likely punter for Eaton, despite having limited snaps at both. Blaskowski had seven games played, but had 41 receiving yards, two receiving touchdowns, and one punt for 54 yards, along with six tackles and an interception for 39 yards. Uh, then we have Gunner Clary. Clary is Eaton's leading returning tackler with 58, 11 tackles for loss, 3 sacks, a pass deflection, a forced fumble, and a fumble recovery. He also had 95 rushing yards and a rushing touchdown, and since he's at 6'2", 200 plus pounds now, it's sounding like he'll be filling Morgan Trebet's role. And then we have Zach Mask. Zach Mask is the Reds' second leading returning tackler with 57, two tackles for loss, two sacks, and a fumble recovery. Then we have Benson Hood, who's the leading returning interceptor with two interceptions, five pass deflections, a forced fumble, 50 tackles, six for loss, and 50 kick return yards. Then we have Cade Gentry, who will likely be the main guy returning on special teams. He had 215 kickoff return yards and 147 punt return yards. On the other side of special teams, we have Ryan Martinez, who looks like he may be the new kicker, as in the one kickoff he had last season, he got that thing 50 yards. Aiden Adams and Dawson Fogg are the other tacklers returning out of the top 13. Between them, they had 45, five tackles for loss, and a fumble recovery. Briar Barr is someone that should have an increased role next year as a 6-1 defensive end, Barr started as a sophomore and should be starting to come into his own. They're also bringing back Caden Rigg, D'Artanian Salazar, and Cesar Garcia on the line. 
And so looking at it, this season will be an odd one for Eaton. With so many major players graduating and one of their lead assistant coaches leaving, it'll be hard to determine which games they'll win or lose, but I'll give it a shot. First is the game against the Classical Academy, which right now I am planning to be there for. The Titans were the sole loss of last season, but they are arguably losing more than Eaton did, which is really tough looking at their, their graduating seniors, but listen to this. They're losing their Opoi finalists, Ethan Aragundi, two of their other top four rushers, their top five receivers, their kicker, and ten of their leading tacklers. Their only major returners are the QB, their second rusher, and their sixth leading tackler. They're losing more than Eaton, so I think that Eaton takes it, but it'll be really close. Then we have University, which is honestly really only losing their receiving core. I think this will be closer than last season, too close to call now, but I actually slightly favor University here. Slightly. 51 times out of 100. But then we have Platte Valley. Uh, the Broncos are losing Justin Fanbecker and Ethan Johnson, but they will be keeping Howdy Johnson for one more year, along with most of their defense. Now, I don't want to underestimate the heart of champions, but with the amount of players that Eaton is losing, it's tough to say they win this one, at least in the same manner they did last year. By the end of this game, we will see what Eaton's season is looking like. I say it's a close one, but I have Eaton favored enough to mark this as a W tentatively on the schedule. Following that, they have a matchup with the 3A Severance Silver Knights. The emergence of the Hoffman brothers makes this really tough, since Severance is a team on the rise. The Silver Knights are retaining a lot of their leaders and stats, but losing a lot of their seconds and thirds, making this hard to evaluate. However, I think that without their all two All-State cornerbacks, Eaton will have a tough time containing Jeremiah and Jaden Hoffman, so I'll give this one to Severance. Next up is Steamboat Springs, where the Sailors were kind of hot mid last year going 4-5, and five, but they're losing their receiving core, their number two rusher, and their top seven tacklers. Jesse Hamrick is rising to become one of the better QBs in 2A, but I'm not sure I trust the rest of the team enough to say they'll win over Eaton. After that comes Fort Lupton, where the Blue Devils are losing their quarterback, two of their leading rushers, two of their top receivers, despite keeping most of their defense and a good portion of their line. That makes them tough, but given how bad that loss was for Fort Lupton last year, and how much championship experience Eaton is returning, I'm not sure how I see Fort Lupton winning this as of now. It feels like Eaton kind of has their system figured out. Next up, we have Berthed who were a playoff team last year. Uh, the Spartans aren't losing too much on offense, only their leading receiver, and are only graduating four of their top 13 tacklers. Uh, this was closer than most of Eaton's games last year, and I can honestly see it going birth its way. I think this one will be pretty close, but it could be an upset. Uh, then come the Forge Christian Fire, who we talked about them a little bit earlier, but they were not good last year, going 2-7, and seven but they're not losing too horribly much. They're keeping their top two running backs, two of their best receivers, their kicker, and nine of their best tacklers. I think this will be a closer game, but I have confidence in Eaton to win this based on experience and the pressure that they will undoubtedly have at this point in the season. Finally, they'll face the Academy Wildcats. 
The Wildcats are losing All-PMC wide receiver Derek Reel, All-PMC linebacker Corbin Miller, who was also a DPOY finalist, MVP finalist Isaiah Elliott, and nine of the top 13 tacklers. I think that with the Academy having lost that many pieces, it'll be close, but Eaton will pull out the win. This makes it a minimum of 6-3 and three and a maximum of 8-1. and one. However, I will say that I don't know how this season will look. They have quality coaching, seasoned players, and dudes who simply know how to play. And I know that a lot of similar questions were asked last year, and he managed to win another championship, but they are losing so, so much. I do think they'll at least be a playoff team, but they're going to need luck on their side to make it back and repeat as champions for the fourth year in a row. And now, it's time to head a little bit down south to visit Kersey and the Platte Valley Broncos, who went 5-4 and four last year. Alright, so the Broncos went 5-4 and four last year, with wins over Kent Denver, Weld Central, Valley, Wellington, and Prospect Ridge Academy but ultimately they did have some really, really tough losses in there. Uh, coming off of a playoff appearance where they lost to the Severin Silver Knights, they had big expectations and were in our top 10 for the first three weeks of the season where they did have those victories over Kent Denver and Weld Central before losing to Eaton 44-0. They fell completely out of the top 10, after a blowout loss to the Wiggins Tigers and then fell out of the playoffs as a whole with a crushing 29-27 loss to the Davlin Jaguars. They beat Fowley to keep themselves in the fringe playoff race, but lost to Bennett to secure their spot on the outside looking in. Because despite wins against Wellington and PRA because of those teams' records, their RPI only really got worse to close the year. If a field goal had been scored in Westminster in September, we likely would have seen the Broncos return to the playoffs in November. Now, let's see what they have left to work with to try to return to the playoffs next year. So, looking at their graduating seniors, we mentioned earlier during a couple of our previews, Justin Fanbecker. Uh, Justin Fanbecker was the Broncos' leading rusher behind Howdy Johnson. He had 518 rush yards, 6 rushing touchdowns, 69 receiving yards, 67 tackles, 7 tackles for loss, 1.5 sacks, 2 interceptions for 35 yards, pass deflection, and a forced fumble. We have Ethan Johnson, who was the, the leading receiver for Platte Valley last year, with 259 receiving yards and 3 receiving touchdowns. He also had 25 kick return yards, 33 rush yards, a rushing touchdown, went 2-for-3 on point after attempts, had 2 interceptions for 38 yards, 7 pass deflections, 47 tackles, and 3 tackles for loss. We have Colton Patch after that, who was number 4 RB for the Broncos, with 128 rush yards, but more importantly, he was the number 2 tackler for the team with 74, along with 3 tackles for loss, a sack, and a blocked field goal attempt. Uh, Doug Nally was Platte Valley's fourth leading tackler with 68. He also led the team in tackles for loss with 16. He had three sacks, a forced fumble, two recoveries, 26 rush yards, and a rushing touchdown. Then we have Logan Cogburn, 
who was the kickoff man for the Broncos last year with 1,067 kickoff yards on 23 attempts for an average of 46.4 yards. He also had four tackles and a tackle for loss. He was a captain and started on the offensive line. Then we have Nicholas Newman, who had 64 tackles, seven for loss, and a blocked field goal attempt. Logan Brittner, who had 28 tackles and three tackles for loss a senior year. And finally, Cole Halley, who is another graduating lineman who had some real heft on him. So, honestly, they are losing a lot, but it's not. Uh, but they are retaining a lot as well. They are not Flatirons Academy here. Uh, so, looking at it, first we have Howdy Johnson, who's going to be a senior now. Uh, starting at quarterback, he'll be 5'9", hopefully a little bit more than 150, but that's what he was last year. Uh, last year, he passed for 739 yards, 8 touchdowns to 6 interceptions, so it it's a better cube, it's a better ratio than a lot of guys, but also could be improved. Uh, he had a QBR of 71.5. He also had a 1,000-yard rushing season with 1,017, 8 rushing touchdowns. He also had 52 kick return yards and 15 tackles. This is a team that lives and dies by Howdy. Which, by the way, Howdy, you have got a kick-ass name. It, you sound like a goddamn cowboy. <laughs> like, like you sound like somebody that'd show up at the OK Corral next to Doc Holliday. Like, <laughs> in any case, uh, then we have Talon Short, who will be the backup QB for the season. Uh, for some reason, I uh, still don't know why, uh, he started the game against Wiggins, where he went 1-4 for four for 16 yards and a touchdown, while also throwing a pick. Uh, Shore also ran for 136 yards and a rushing touchdown, along with catching for 40 yards on the season. He also contributed 38 tackles and a pass deflection on defense. Then we have the senior, Bryant Beeman. And 17 carries, Bryant Beeman amassed 118 rush yards and a touchdown last year, along with 20 receiving yards, a receiving touchdown, an interception for 10 yards, a pass deflection, a fumble recovery, a blocked field goal, and was the team's leading tackler with 99, 12 of which were for loss, which was second highest on the team. Then we have Josh Eagleton, who is the leading returning receiver with 194 receiving yards, Four receiving touchdowns, 25 rush yards, 57 tackles, 8 for loss, a sack, 2 forced fumbles, and an interception for 32 yards. He was also the leading punter for most of the year, but we'll see how that goes heading into next season. Uh, then we have Damian Proano Romero, uh, who's going to be a sophomore this year. He's an interesting prospect who only got a couple touches last year but he did manage to get 64 rush yards in three attempts. He might be a guy to keep an eye on. Uh, he also had 22 kick return yards. Uh, then we have Wyatt Meyer, who is the second returning receiver with 109 receiving yards, a touchdown, four kick return yards, and 10 tackles. Uh, then we have Julian Salazar Marquez, who will likely be the last big returning receiver who had 84 receiving yards, 69 tackles, two tackles for loss, an interception, and eight pass deflections. Uh, then we'll have junior Jeremiah Molinar. He had 42 tackles, an interception, and three pass deflections last year. Uh, Cody Helms, who had 57 tackles, four for loss, 
half a sack and forced fumble last season. Jacob Shavaria, who will be the leading returning sackler, sacker, since he had three last year to go with 47 tackles and eight tackles for loss. Isidro Zamudio, Brody White, Isaac Martinez Jr., and Trayton Kneebone combined for 118 tackles and 12 tackles for loss. And then looking at some of their special teams players, uh, we have Mason Judge, who will probably be the Broncos kicker from here on out. Uh, as a sophomore last year, he averaged 36.2 yards per kickoff and had 460 total yards while nailing 17 of 20 PATs. Uh, then we have Zach Burton, who might be a punter as well, since he had the highest average on the team in six attempts, uh, which is limited, but he had 31.7 uh, punting yards for 31.7 per for 190 yards total. So it's looking like that may be the special teams duo for the next two years, but again, we'll see how it goes between Judge and Eagleton. We'll see how it goes. Uh, but yeah, so looking at their window of wins, uh, despite Platte Valley having Devlin listed on their schedule twice, I'll assume the rest... I mean, the rest of it's the same as last year, so I'll assume that Devlin being on there twice is a mix-up. Uh, especially since it's listed for the same day and time. <laughs> you, you know, odds are that's, that's a mistake. Uh, but first, the Broncos will face the Kent Denver Sun Devils in Kersey. Uh, Platte Valley came out on top last year, but just barely. And Kent Denver is losing just about as much as Platte Valley, but they haven't put in many stats. However, I did find the stats over on Digital Scout. Uh, thank you to Platte Valley for using that. Looking at it, uh, Kent Denver's quarterback, Duke Benson, who had two touchdowns last year, graduated. Their top running back, Charlie Walker, graduated. And I can't tell if Declan Sohn graduated or not, but I'll assume not. Now, the kicker is graduating, and I'll assume a good portion of their defense is too. I'll, I'll give this to Platte Valley, uh, since they are keeping a lot of their pieces, and Kent seems to be losing a lot. Again, update your max preps. If you're not, you're lazy. But, <laughs> uh, next is Weld Central, who is basically only graduating their quarterback and leading receiver on offense, which is a lot, but it's not the most they could be. And then they're also graduating half of their best defenders. I mean, this will be tough since Platte Valley will likely keep getting better with Howdy, and Weld Central are also likely to be improving. And, I mean, this was the second closest win over, uh, over Platte Valley last year, and I think that Platte Valley wins more often than not, but it's only 55 times out of 100. Uh, then we have Eaton, which I did go over uh, during that preview, but I do favor Eaton here. And, I mean, much like the Reds, by this point we will know what Platte Valley season looks like. Are they a competitive team, or are they just going to be okay and maybe slip into the playoffs? Uh, then they're going to be playing Wiggins again, which Wiggins are losing a lot. Uh, they're losing 1A Offensive Playmaker of the Year finalist Julio Flores, Defensive Playmaker of the Year Honorable Mention Pepper Rusher. Uh, he was also our 2021 uh, Defensive Playmaker of the Year. Uh, MVP Honorable Mention Cole Kerr, along with All-PMC Guard Laith Ibrahim. Uh, they're also losing their top two receivers in Omar Perez and Trey Vasecki. 
uh, and their top four tacklers. Um, I do think that with how Platte Valley is improving and how Wiggins is losing basically all of their damage dealers that won them this game last year, Platte Valley will take the win. Uh, and then, then comes Davlin, who are losing Opoy finalist Austin, Austin Bushlack, Offensive Playmaker of the Year honorable mention Gabe Jackson, their other starting wide receiver, Ethan Bushlack, and the kicker. However, they will retain a good portion of their defense. Uh, ultimately, I, d- I see two potential versions of Platte Valley's season by this point, but this one is likely to lean in the Broncos' way. Uh, with how much Devlin is losing on offense, I do see Platte Valley taking advantage and picking up the win. Uh, yeah, and then, then the Broncos will be heading over to Gilchrist to take on the Valley, Vi- the Valley Vikings, which they are not losing much on offense, and they're only losing five of their top 13 tacklers, so it feels weird to say. But with how much Justin Fanbecker did for the Broncos in this matchup last year, I think the Vikings may win this one. Uh, and then the next week, the Broncos face the Bennett Tigers, where the thing is that Bennett is losing their quarterback, University of Jamestown commit and Opoy finalist Connor Rayburn, who had 25 rushing touchdowns last year, James Newton, who would have been an Opoy candidate on any other team, and all-PMC guard Landon Stevens. I mean, this game was a devastating loss for Platte Valley last year. I want to say it was about 36 points. Um, And, I mean, with how much firepower the Tigers are losing, the Broncos may pull this out. They're losing most of the the production that won Bennett that game last year. So, I think Platte Valley might pull this out. Uh, Then we have Wellington, which is going to be really tough. Because the dynamic duo of Cash, Altschwacher, and Tanner Gray is going to cause trouble. And then with Tanner Smith, Ian Allison, and Braden Pollier holding it down on defense, I think this one will be really close. I could, I can see it going either way. Finally, we do have the Miners at Prospect Ridge Academy. And I can see it, based on the two versions of Black Valley's season I have in my head. The season where they're really good and the season where they're kind of okay. I can see this either being a blowout for Platte Valley or a game 82 type scenario, like I said in the Prospect Ridge preview. I'm going to assume for this preview that Platte, that Platte Valley is going to improve and say that the Broncos win this 9 times out of 10 in the good version of their season. So ultimately, this makes their season a minimum of 5-4 and four and a maximum of 8-1. and one. However, I do feel their realistic total is closer to 6-3. and 8-1 and one is their everything goes right, no injuries, nobody goes down, nobody messes up too bad. This is their best case scenario. Let's see which way the Broncos take up those two seasons, and we'll see if they return to the playoffs in the last chance that Howdy Johnson's Platte Valley Broncos may have in this regime. Uh, Fingers crossed, best of luck, and on to the next. Here we have my alma mater, so I will admit I'm a little bit biased here, but I try to keep it as far out of here as I can. The Manitou Springs Mustangs, who went 3-6 last year, losing the season opener to Rye after being up 20-0. They lost that one 20 8-20, to 20, 
before battling off the, th the first three-game fall win streak since 2014, where they made the Final Four. They beat Valley 36-35, beat Rocky Ford 46-12, and beat Prospect Ridge Academy 43-32. But they did not win again for the rest of the season and did not win a home game this year, or last year. Uh, they lost to Woodland Park 35-0 after shutting out the Panthers in the first half. Lost to Florence 60-0, lost to Alamosa 54-12, lost to La Hunza 42-6, and lost to Lamar 33-6. So they just had a tough go of it to close out the season. Which, I mean, it is tough because of the teams in, in the league that they did face. Three of them were playoff teams. La Hunta was like the 18 seed on selection and seeding index, and Lamar was trending up. So it is tough. The The 2A Tri-Peaks is one of the tougher leagues in the state, in my personal opinion, in 2A at least. Uh, but let's look at what they're going to be losing heading into next year, and then we can assess what, what they're going to be looking like heading into the 2023 season. So first, we have... Tyler Maloney, who was the starting running back for most of the year and then transitioned over to wide receiver later on. He had 492 rush yards, eight rushing touchdowns, 458 receiving yards, three receiving touchdowns, three tackles, and was all around the offensive engine of the team. And his near thousand yard season is the accumulation of a very solid career. Then we have Evan Shear. Shear had 727 receiving yards, 4 receiving touchdowns, 48 rush yards, 25 tackles, 4 interceptions, and a fumble recovery. Uh, Shear was a transfer from Air Academy, whose air game and speed did add a, a dynamic level to the Mustangs game. Uh, then we have Lucien Castilla who was a physical, solid defender who was similar in frame and play style to Jaden Marquez. And then we have Matthew Barton, who was the starting center. And that's all. Manitou Springs is only graduating four seniors, uh, leaving the other 39 players on the roster to fill in where needed. I mean, think of it like this. There are teams where they're losing 10 of their top 13 tacklers. Meanwhile, Manitou is only losing four players total. So they have a lot to work with here, especially compared to some of the other teams in the league. So returning key players. Under center, we're going to have senior quarterback Nate Gensel at 6'4", 200 pounds. Uh, Gensel, he had 1,360 yards on 102 completions last year, but he did have a negative touchdown interception radio ratio. Uh, 9 to 10. Yes, it was a radio. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. Uh, he had a QBR of 62.5 and negative 30 rushing yards. So, I mean, Gensel, he isn't the best uh, when it comes to rushing, but hopefully with uh, one more year meshing and another offseason to prepare with his guys, they should be in much better shape moving into next year. Then we have Braden Dowling, who is both on offense and defense, one of the better statistical edge rushers in the state. I mean, the, the reason I stay statistical is because based on what I have found, he had 26 hurries last year, 
which is among the best that I have seen. Uh, he all he also had 75 tackles, 10 of which were for loss, four and a half sacks, a, a PAT block, eight pancake blocks, and two and a half fumbles cause. All around, Dowling should be a high-value player for the Mustangs. Uh, then we have Logan Moore, who is a six foot two hundred ten-ish pound junior, who should be taking over the role of running back. He had three hundred thirty-five rush yards last year, four rushing touchdowns, forty-six tackles, eleven tackles for loss, a sack, a fumble cause, and recovery. And he was also one of the main sparks in that game against Valley because the the play that sticks out as one of the top plays of the season last year for me is when Kyan Bunker, who we'll talk about here in a minute, he blocked a field goal and then Moore picked it up and managed to take it to the house uh, for about, I want to say about 85 yards, which, I mean, ultimately in a one-point game, that is everything. Uh, then we'll also have Hallen Hale, who is going to have two interceptions and had a touchdown interception as well. Uh, then we have Kyan Bunker, who blocked kicks in three straight games last year, had one fumble cause, one sack, 32 tackles, and five tackles for loss. Then we have Sam Fournier, who was injured for most of last year. But as a sophomore in 2022, he had 150 receiving yards, and last year he had 17 tackles in six games. Then we have Asher Levine, who had 19 tackles last year. And then other players of note include junior Preston Rhodes, sophomore Leighton Little, junior Ben Perkins, Gage, and sophomore Gage Williams, who had 43 tackles and 70 yards combined, uh, Liam Bowie, uh, will likely be playing center, and I believe Kate Johnson will be playing kicker uh, in terms of field goal attempts and PATs. Uh, other linemen who will be returning are Jaron Hall, uh, Christian Gabrick-Sanders, and Dylan Gates. Uh, Hall, in particular, I believe is going to be a power player for the Mustangs, one of the beefiest guys on the line from what I saw last year. And then, I mean... The thing is, this is where it gets tough, <clears throat> because last year the Mustangs did have their first three-game win streak in a fall season in almost a decade, and this is, the seniors on this year's roster are the last guys who were on the championship roster just, just three years ago now, in the spring of 2021. Um... I mean, looking at it, they do have a chance to return to the playoffs. Uh, assuming that there hasn't been a major scheme change, and assuming that guys haven't changed position too much, we're looking at what could be a playoff season. So, first, they're going to be opening the year against the Valley Vikings, which I could see going either way, depending on how the game is. And... I mean, Valley is going to be retaining a lot. I mentioned this briefly earlier. They're going to be keeping their quarterback. They're going to be keeping basically their entire offense, most of their defense. I see this being kind of a slugfest. And then kind of depending on how this game against Valley goes, 
I could it, I, I think that's going to be kind of how that game against Rye goes because looking at it the past couple of years that it kind of sets the more the, the tone of the morale um and then yeah I see Rye being close uh, Rye is returning a lot of their impact players but Manitou has become really close to beating Rye for the past two seasons, and if the trend holds and the Mustangs can maintain a lead, I can see it going either way. Um, and and this is despite the Thunderbolt's success last season. I I believe they did make the playoffs last year in 1A, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, then we have Rocky Ford and Prospect Ridge Academy, which will probably be big wins because those teams are unfortunately eternal punching bags with Prospect Ridge having never made the playoffs. And, I mean, Rocky Ford, their last playoff appearance, was a 57-6 loss in the first round against Holyoke in 2019. And then here we have a hot take. But I think that Woodland Park will be a win. The Mustangs are 2-5 against Woodland Park in the Max Preps era. Uh, that's since 2004. Uh, that has been logged, uh, with, with their last win against the Panthers being in 2018. However, with all of the stuff going on with Ken Witt, I am hearing whispers of a decent portion of Woodland Park transferring out, which leaves Manitou as the only realistic option for students to go to for school. I mean, if you live closer to Divide or in the unincorporated areas of Teller County. Yeah, you might go to Cripple Creek, but Cripple Creek does not exactly have the best school. Uh, Cri well, Cripple Creek Victor, that is. And so that kind of leaves Manitou as the only other option. And so I could honestly see a good amount of woodland transferring down you pass. And the thing about this as well is that I have heard whispers of as much as a quarter of Woodland Park transferring out. And so this may not impact Manitou's success this year due to the Chassa transfer rules, but it might leave Woodland depleted for that matchup. At the very least, at the very least, I do see this being closer than last year. Um, again, the Mustangs did hold the Panthers scoreless in the first half. They just ran out of gas. And I mean... I don't see that happening again. The past two years, it's been the same story where they keep it close until halftime or until the end of the third quarter, and then all of a sudden, Woodland Park blows the doors open. I think the Mustangs might have finally learned the, that lesson. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, and then Manitou will travel to Florence, which is going to be tough. Because, I mean, the Huskies are losing Levi Paxton and guys like Gage Goodall. But also, Florence won 60-0 last year in Manitou, which I... It, it's tough to say that with a game like that, you're going to win the next matchup. Um, It'll be closer, and I see Manitou having a potential to win, maybe about like 35-40-45%. Assuming that there hasn't been like major changes in the scheme and whatnot, but I honestly see Florence taking that right now. 
And then we have Alamosa, which I honestly have as a toss-up. Um, Alamosa's losing the Jones brothers, Jace Quintana, Javi Gonzalez, and Cody Lopez, who were pretty big for them last year. And they did beat the Mustangs pretty handily. But the Mean Moose are losing a bunch of the main reasons for that. And I do not trust Alamosa to come back when down. Let's say they go down two or three... Two, let's say they go down two scores. I do not see Alamosa coming back from that. So whoever scores first wins this game, really. And I can see it going either way. Before we get to La Junta, which is another odd one. Uh, the Tigers are graduating Jeremiah Martinez, who was their leading rusher and who did carry the Tigers after Luke Garner got hurt midseason. Who, Luke Garner was a quarterback. And Martinez was also the Tigers' leading receiver with over 20 tackles as well. And they're losing their third leading tackler in Andrew Rosso Jr. But I, I think LaHunta might have a good... I, I think they'll win. Um... They are returning Garner, and then Trevor Johnston as well as most of their top defenders, along with a good portion of their offense on a team that beat Manitou by a few scores last year. And given that without Garner last year, this was a team that was just barely on the outside looking in. So I can see LaHunta winning this. Uh, I, 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 I can still see a world where Manitou does win this. Uh, it's just LaHunta wins more often than not in my book. And then, then we finally have the Lamar Thunder, which A, I'm so glad that you guys finally changed your name, but B, they're an intriguing team. Uh, they did only go 2-7 last year, but three of those seven losses were games that Lamar only lost by one possession, and two of those they only needed as a safety to tie a field goal to win. They were only three points away from beating the 10-seeded Woodland Park Panthers the, the week prior to the matchup with Manitou, and they had done pretty decently against some of their other teams prior to that. So looking at their schedule, they were on the up and up. And, I mean, but this is where it gets tough, because they're losing Brendan Sneller, who was a defensive playmaker of the year finalist, the two-way tackles leader, and their leading receiver. They're also losing Tyler Widener, Garrett Williams, Zach Forbes, Atsin Fialabus, and Adam Montez, among others. So I can kind of see this going either way, since Lamar was trending up at the end of last season. But Manitou has also gained a lot of experience, and Lamar has graduated out a lot of their impact players. Uh, plus, that, that drive... Manitou's going to be having to go to Lamar, um, and that drive is always, uh, for lack of a better term, a pain in the ass. I, I was the team's basketball manager for two years, and those drives out to Lamar and the Hunter, I, good lord, because they have to make that drive, but to every other team that they're going to be playing, I don't get it. It hurts to make that drive. But in any case, um, the travel factor is nothing to sniff at. So honestly, this this leaves a floor of wins uh, as three and six. Uh, well, yeah, three and six, and then a ceiling of seven and two. Either way, this should be better than the past two seasons on paper. Uh, if Gensel is able to avoid turnover problems. 
and the receiving core does pretty well, and the line is a bit more physical. I can see the Mustangs securing a playoff spot, though likely to have to travel uh, if they make it that far. Uh, if turnovers continue to be a problem, uh, they had 26 last year, and the run defense doesn't shore up because I, I was looking at the stats. They allowed 30 rushing touchdowns last year compared like they they actually had more passing yards than the other teams that they played did. It's just that they had almost 500 less rushing yards last year. So if the run defense doesn't shore up and the turnovers don't stop, then this may be a repeat of the past couple of years. But I, I see it being more likely that this is a solid playoff team. And so, best of luck, Stangs. Uh, hope you all do well. Shout out to all the folks out in out in Manitou that that make it so nice out there. But on to the next, heading right up Ute Pass to Woodland Park, who had a really, really good year last year. So Woodland Park, they were six and four, which is continued improvement in the third year of Chad Drummond as head coach. Uh, this is his best. This is the best record that Woodland Park has had since 2019, and it was only the second time that the player that the Panthers made the playoffs since the drop down from 3A to 2A, and it was the second first round exit in that same time span. Uh, Woodland Park opened the season with a loss to Summit in Frisco before going on a five-game win streak against Salida, Mitchell, CSCS, Manitou Springs, and La Junta. They then lost to Florence, beat Lamar, and lost to Alamosa and Basalt to close out the season. Can Woodland make another playoff run, or will the Panthers fall short? Let's take a look at what they are losing first. First, we have Aiden Hernandez who was the main playmaker for Woodland Park last year. He had 47 pass yards, 663 rush yards, 8 rushing touchdowns, 80 receiving yards, 28 kick return yards, 71 tackles, 18 for loss, 9 sacks. All of the previous are team highs on defense. Um, 10 hurries and a forced fumble. Uh, then we have Caleb Graves. Graves had 240 rush yards, 2 rushing touchdowns, 13 receiving uh, yards, a receiving touchdown, 58 kick return yards, 37 tackles, 2 for loss, and a sacks. Then we have Curtis Schoenberger, who had 38 receiving yards, 10 tackles, a tackle for loss, a forced fumble, a pass deflection, and a fumble recovery. Uh, Daniel Summerill, who had 36 tackles, 6 for loss, 2 sacks, and 11 hurries. Sam Marquez, who had 31 tackles and 2 for loss. And then Cheyenne Gutierrez, Noah Nelson, and CJ Belcher, who all graduated off of the line. Now, I mentioned this briefly in the Manitou preview, but before I look at key returners, just know that this list is made with the assumption that all key returners are staying in Woodland. Uh, with the Ken Witt situation, I've heard that as much as a quarter of the student body is leaving, and assuming that that excludes student-athletes is not a good idea. And this is also assuming that no student-athletes participate in any walkouts or anything of that kind that would get them suspended, uh, because Ken Witt has a history of doing that. 
so for the sake of this section, I will assume they are staying until I have been informed otherwise. So we're going to start off with senior quarterback Bryce Broker, who is likely to be the starting quarterback for Woodland as he was last year. He had 488 pass yards, six touchdowns to four interceptions, with a QBR of 75.3. He had 426 rush yards, four rushing touchdowns, 13 receiving yards, 33 tackles, eight for loss, five sacks, four hurries, and 561 punt yards on 15 punts for about 38 yards on average. Then we have Aiden Hood. Hood had 349 rush yards, four rushing touchdowns, 37 tackles, three for loss, and a hurry last year. Uh, Griffin King is another line, is another in the long line of good players that went to Woodland named Griffin. With a special shout out to the Owens family, uh, Heather, Jeff, Elise, and Griffin. Love you guys. Uh, in any case, Griffin King had 14 rush yards, 211 receiving yards, three receiving touchdowns, 48 kick return yards, 68 tackles, two of which for loss, three pass deflections, and three interceptions. Then we have senior Evan Bamesberger, who had 130 receiving yards, a receiving touchdown, 25 tackles, a pass deflection, and five, count it, five interceptions for 17 yards. Uh, then we have Ben Summerell, who I'm going to assume is the brother of Daniel. Uh, ben, had 52 tackles, three tackles for loss, and a forced fumble last year. Uh, Parker Shreve was the fourth leading tackler for Woodland with 40, seven of which were for loss, along with three sacks, four hurries, two forced fumbles, and two fumble recoveries. Then we have Marcus Schoenberger. Again, no clue if he's related to the other Schoenberger that we talked about earlier, Curtis, but it's that that's not exactly a common last name but marcus in any case had 38 tackles and three interceptions for four yards last year uh, you have trey reed who had 12 tackles last year demetrius gaucus who uh, who's going to be a sophomore he had a sack and eight tackles last year and then miles wiley who is also going to be a sophomore uh, he is probably going to be woodland park's kicker for the rest of his high school career he had 1,625 kickoff yards on 32 kicks for 50.8 yards on average. He also went 20 for 21 on PATs and 3 for 4 on field goal attempts this year. And so, we'll see how it goes. Depending on how the Ken Witt situation affects enrollment and retention of players, that is going to determine how the season is going to go partially. I'm not sure that it's as high as the 25% mark that I've heard, but it will likely be substantial regardless. Um, now, you heard me mention earlier that uh, suspension for walkouts is possible, and he, he hasn't done that in particular, but he, all, he does have a history of targeting students he doesn't like, so a multiple game suspension for minor infractions is on the table. Regardless, assuming the best for Whitman Park and that they don't lose any of their impact players. That's what I'm going to be basing this window of wins off of. I'm not going to base this off of hypotheticals. I'm just going to say they're fully stocked for the full season. <clears throat> no, uh, no injuries on the table either. 
So, the Panthers are going to start out the season at home against Summit. Last year, the Tigers came out on top in the Battle of Big Cat 17-0, but all of their main playmakers, including Eli Krawchuk, Jack Shearholtz, and 11 of their top 13 tacklers are leaving. Outside of Shearholtz, however, their offense will largely remain intact, but Summit's third best returning tackler had seven last year. Seven. <laughs> Which is, is less than one a game. I do not trust Summit's defense to keep up with the improvement of Woodland's offense, and and Woodland is also retaining a good amount of their defense. Then Woodland... Uh, so yeah, I, 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 see, I see Summit losing this game to the Panthers. Uh, then... Woodland's going to be making the couple-hour drive down to Salida, where they barely won last year. Uh, the Spartans are retaining most of their top tacklers. 308 tackles, 11 sacks, 15 hurries, 10 interceptions, and 139 points. Uh, both of their QBs and their running backs are coming back. And I do think that Salida takes this, but it is going to be pretty close. Um, yeah, Salida is retaining a lot more. Uh, than Woodland Park is, and Woodland Park just barely won it. So, yeah, then they'll be playing Mitchell. Um, <laughs> uh, you feel bad for the Marauders, but despite being 3A, Mitchell went zero, went winless last year, scoring in only three total games. They have no players listed on last year's roster, so I can't tell who's coming back. And ultimately, I hate it when teams do that. And this fully shows that this is not a program that's committed to getting better long-term, and it kind of shows that they're kind of lazy. So I see Woodland winning this very handily. And then we have Colorado Springs Christian School, where the Lions are losing a lot. I covered this during my Flatirons Academy preview, but I think the Lions are going to be significantly depleted compared to last year. And to quote what I said earlier, the Lions are losing their top three rushers, their top four receivers, 11 of their top 13 tacklers, 15, 11 of the 15 players that had tackles for loss, their top six sack people, every player with an interception, and both their kickers and punters for good measure on top of Nathaniel Tennyson. And Woodland just handled them last year, so I see the same happening again, uh, despite Jace Velasquez's best efforts. Uh, then comes Manitou Springs, which is always a heated rivalry and i covered this one like five minutes ago but i feel weird about this because assuming that woodland park keeps all their pieces woodland is improving at about the same rate the manitou's improving and the mustangs did hold the panthers scoreless in the first half last year and with the panthers losing aiden hernandez the player that did the vast majority of the damage last year i do think manitou will pull it out Keep in mind, last year, Manitou's pass defense was really, really solid. Aiden Hearn, uh, not Aiden, Bryce Broker, he only threw two passes and completed neither of them. If Manitou's run defense is as improved as I think it could be, then I think the Mustangs will pull it out. Uh, then comes La Junta. Uh, last year, the Panthers only beat La Junta in overtime a few games after Luke Garner got hurt. Um, before Garner went down, the Tigers were undefeated, and even without him, they were only two touchdowns away from making the playoffs. And so, most of the players 
that gave Woodlands trouble last year are still there. But And this is going to be a tough one. I think that this one is too close to call as of now, but I think it'll be a must-watch game. Um, so, yeah, and then looking at it, we have the Florence Huskies, who are losing to a MVP finalist, Levi Paxton, along with all-PMC tight end Josiah Cornwell, their leading rusher, Lincoln Nix, and their best special teams player, Xavier Martinez, along with their leading tackler, tackler Weston Spigert. Uh, I do think that coming off of a disappointing first-round loss against Rifle, I had I had Florence in my Final Four, and then that first-round loss just busted my bracket. And how much Florence is losing, they're going to be a lot like CSCS. However, unlike CSCS, Florence, like Florence did not have positive momentum ending last year. However, they are keeping all PMC guard Gunnar Bassetti and all PMC safety Gage Goodall. Um, I do see Woodland taking this, but just barely. Uh, then we have Lamar. Uh, the Thunder are losing all PMC safety and depoy finalist Brendan Sneller. Uh, I went over them a little bit earlier, and they're keeping just about everyone else. Uh, Woodland only won this game by two last year, so I think this will be another good one. Um, one that'll be too close. I think Woodland wins this about 51 to 52 times out of 100, you know? So we'll see how it goes. Then we have Alamosa to close out their season. And the Mean Moose are losing Shadron State commit Casey Jones, along with Cade Jones and Jace Quintana. And as I mentioned during the Manitou preview, I do not expect Alamosa and I do not trust them to come back from being down, especially being down big. So with them losing their quarterback and integral pieces of their team, I think Woodland will pull this one out without extenuating circumstances. Uh, in my book, uh, they their window of wins is four to seven. Uh, so either a four and five season to a seven and two season. I, I see it being closer to maybe five and five four or six and three because the games that I have being close are Salida, Manitou, Florence, and Lamar. Um, and so I can see them splitting those two and two. I can see those games. I, I think two and two is most realistic there. And so then Summit, I expect to win. Mitchell, CSCS, Alamosa. So yeah, six and like five and four or six and three, I think is more realistic. Um, four and five is like a worst case scenario. Um, and then seven and two is like everything went perfectly and they didn't lose anybody. So yeah, we'll see how it goes for Woodland. Uh, good luck. Uh, I know most of the people that I went to elementary school with up there are gone now, but I hope y'all are well. I hope that uh, the rivalry of you past stays healthy, unlike it was over the past couple of years. And yeah, stay safe up there. And to close out my season previews, we have the two newest teams in Colorado football, at least in two-way, 
the Wellington Eagles and the Timnath Cubs. Two very different teams, but two really fun teams regardless. So I'm going to start this out with Wellington and then close it out with Timnath. So last season, the, the Wellington Eagles went 4-5 and five with wins over Highland, Sterling, Timnath, and Prospect Ridge Academy. And this is a team that was just a couple of wins away from the playoffs last year. Under coach Travis Peoples, the Eagles spent their first year working to build cohesion and consistency in their system. And this coming year, their goal is to make the playoffs. Their first season back since 1964, the Eagles put up four wins. Uh, they did open their season with a loss to the Estes Park Panthers before that three-game win streak from Highlands to Timnath. They then lost to Valley before topping Prospect Ridge, and then dropped the last three games of the season against Davelin, Platte Valley, and Bennett, all of which were playoff or fringe playoff teams. Now, the Eagles were freshmen and sophomore last year, so they're not losing much except for Ben Yachtnor. Uh, ben Yachtnor was that Spanish exchange student that I talked about earlier that was brought in a couple of time, times to kick. Uh, he did a couple of kickoffs that I saw, but he's not listed on the official roster. I only know about him because I was there in person. <laughs> so, uh, I hope you're doing well, Ben Yacht. And on to the returning players, which is a lot of guys. So, this is going to be a long one. Starting off, we have the engine of this team, Junior Cash Altschwager. Altschwager is going to be a player that is going to be going D1 by the time he graduates. And I cannot sing his praises enough. The All-PMC Athlete and 2A Most Valuable Playmaker Award had award winner, sorry, he had 1,038 rush yards, 7 rushing touchdowns, 600 plus yard games, 418 receiving yards, 5 receiving touchdowns, 47 kick return yards, 46 tackles, 3 pass deflections, a fumble recovery, and 8 interceptions, which was tied for 3rd in the entire state across all levels, and all of that was without the playoffs. You can bet on cash every time, and he'll have you rolling into the bank. And under center, handing him off the ball and throwing to him, among other guys, is going to be Tanner Gray, who was the QB for this team last year, and I think with an offseason of work, he should be gearing up for a big year. The Newcomer of the Year finalist had 461 pass yards, 6 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, and a QBR of 66.7. However, in the air is not where he found the most success. He found Pater on the ground with 6 rushing touchdowns and 636 rush yards. He also had two conversions, 28 tackles, a tackle for loss, and a fumble recovery. By the way, this kid is 6'4", 220 as a freshman, and he's probably grown. He is a goddamn ox. Next up, we have Caden Keller, who was third in rushing yards behind Gray and Altschwager last year with 485, along with finding seven cases of Pater on the ground, 24 receiving yards, 28 kick return yards, a conversion, and six tackles. Then we have Lincoln Dalton, who had 321 rush yards, a rushing touchdown, tw 12 receiving yards, a conversion, 
21 tackles, two pass deflections, and two interceptions. Then we have Cason Brown, who was the second leading receiver last year with 143 receiving yards, two receiving touchdowns, 21 kick return yards, a conversion, and 16 tackles. Then we have Ian Allison, who was Wellington's leading tackler last year with 60, three of which were for loss, along with two hurries, a forced fumble, a fumble recovery, two pass deflections, and an interception. Then we have Tyler Schaefer, who was number two on the tackles list last year, with 56, of which three were tackles for loss, along with a hurry, two sacks, a forced fumble, two pass deflections, and an interception. Then we have Isaac Duncan, who was tackler number three with 47, three tackles for loss, and two interceptions. Now we have Canyon Breed, who was the team's sacks leader last year with five, 10 hurries, 41 tackles, eight tackles for loss, and a forced fumble. Uh, sophomore Azubia Gracie had 46 tackles, two tackles for loss, a pass deflection, and a fumble recovery last year. Uh, John Borkart had 31 tackles, six tackles for loss, two sacks, and four hurries last year. We have another Tanner, Tanner Smith, who is a 6'5", 220-pound lineman, who was the team's leader in hurries last year with 13 to go with a sack, 29 tackles, and two tackles for loss. Watching him, he reminded me a lot of Army commit Russ Woodward, and I think he can project on a similar trail if he develops right through the next two years. Then we have Julius Olivio, who had 28 tackles, 7 for loss, and a fumble recovery. And then we have Zeke Sherl and Zach Swedland, a sophomore and a junior, respectively, who had a sack apiece and five hurries between them. Uh, Houston Willite, who was the team leader in special teams yards with 118, had 35 rush yards, a rushing touchdown, 21 receiving yards, 16 tackles, four pass deflections, and an interception. And finally, we have sophomore Seth Long, who is likely to be the kicker next year. He had 669 yards on 21 kickoffs for 32 yards per last year and had 255 yards on 10 punts for about 25 and a half yards per punt. Hopefully Long can improve on that end because any good team needs a good special teams in order to succeed. I mean, look at the 2014 Chargers, I believe it was. And so looking at this, uh, looking at their window of wins particularly, Wellington plays a schedule of either tough opponents or bad them or bad ones. There is no real in-between. They have only five games on the schedule as writing this, but odds are it's pretty similar to last year. Uh, so first, they'll play Estes Park, where the tough thing about this, as noted during other previews, is that Estes Park is trending up. They're keeping Ryland Reitz and Jose Gonzalez, making this a tough matchup. However, with a continued improvement to the whole roster for Wellington, I see it being much closer than last year. I, I still think Estes Park pulls it out because of what they were able to retain 65 times out of 100, but it'll be closer. And then they'll play Highland. As I said during my preview for the Huskies, I think that Wellington is winning this one because of the probable continu continued improvement of their squad compared to what Highland is losing, especially in Week 2. Then comes Sterling. I was at this game last year, and the Eagles dismantled the Tigers in the pouring rain. On top of that, Sterling is, is losing their quarterback and their top two rushers. I don't see them pulling 
one out based on what I saw last year, so I'll give it to Wellington. Then comes Timnath. The Cubs had a tough season last year, but this is the game they came closest to winning, only losing 18-14, to and the Cubs actually led for most of this game. Uh, so, with another few games of experience together, I see Vince Hochalter, Alex Koltzak, and Braden Pollier's Cubs making this a real challenge. I mean, the battle for the Ag Bowl for the Box Elder Cup is going to be another classic game close to the very end. Then come the Valley Vikings, and Valley are a very interesting team. I, I think this will be weird. The guys that gave Wellington the work last year are still on the team, and this was a blowout. And I don't see Wellington winning right now since Valley had their number last year, but it'll be another closer game. Um, I still give it to Valley, but it'll be close. Then we have Prospect Ridge Academy, where the Eagles blasted the Miners last year. And I honestly think they'll win again, although it'll probably be closer. Uh, Prospect Ridge puts together a surge to become disruptors. I can see them making a push. But still, Wellington probably wins this 80% of the time. Then we have De Evelyn without the Bushlack brothers, and I think Wellington takes it. I've talked about the Jaguars in this episode enough that I may as well include them in my previews list, but they are losing almost every player who made an impact in this game last year. Ultimately, I give this to Wellington 65% of the time, enough to say that it's not that close. Then we have Platte Valley, which, as I said in that preview, this will be a toss-up game. The Broncos are getting better, but losing key playmakers, and the Eagles are literally only getting better. This will be a really fun one, that is for sure. Finally, we have Bennett. And I feel like I can see the eyes from their Max Preps profile picture peering into my soul at night in my dreams. And that's how much I've talked about the Bennett Tigers today. But as I said during my Prospect Ridge preview, quote, They're losing their QB, they're leading three rushers, including Opoy finalist Connor Rayburn, eight of their top 13 tacklers, and their punter. Most of the time, you don't beat a team that thrashed you 58-14 the year before, but Bennett's also losing all but six of these points, while Wellington is getting better. This gives Travis Peoples and Cash Altschfager's Eagles a minimum of 4-5, and five, and a maximum of 7-2, and two. with those pivotal swing games being Timnath, Platte Valley, and Bennett. I think that they'll probably lose against Estes Park and Valley, um, and win against Highland, Sterling, Prospect Ridge, and De Evelyn. I mean, best of luck to Wellington. I love you guys. You're chill. I'm currently planning to at least make it out to that game against Timnath, so... I'll see you guys then, and on to the final preview of the episode. Finally, we have the Timnath Cubs, who went 0-8 last year, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, so, but it was a big season that showed a lot of potential. Um, especially that Ag Bowl loss against the Eagles, where they, they led for most of the for most of the game. Um, so going through their schedule for last year, uh, the Cubs lost to the Berthed Spartans 48-0, lost to the Academy 64-0. They scored their first points against Prospect Ridge 21-3. Uh, they 
Lost to Wellington, 18-14. Lost to University, 58-6. Lost to Arvada, 39-7. Lost to Sterling, 58-19. And lost to Weld Central, 47-17. So, it, it wasn't the best season, but they did better than a lot of winless teams, looking at you, Mitchell. Um... Yeah, and I don't think they're going to go win this again. I'll, I'll go over that later. But they're not losing anybody. Literally nobody. Not even like a, an exchange student like Wellington. They're losing nobody since they were school of freshmen and sophomores. And they'll be fully loaded heading into this year. So first, looking at their best player, uh, in my opinion at least, we have the junior Vince Hochhalter. Uh, who is just an absolute beast. Uh, the first time that I saw him play the, the Newcomer of the Year Award winner, uh, the first time I saw him play, he had 180 rushing yards, a touchdown, 23 tackles, 5 tackles for loss, and a hurry. 23 tackles in one game. And over the 6 total games that he did play, he had 472 rush yards, that touchdown, 82 tackles total, a sack, three hurries, and two interceptions for 10 yards. He, he was on pace to be the number two tackler in two-way. If he had had those extra two games, he would have been the number two tackler in two-way on the pace that he was going. So I can see Vince being one of the best players, one through three A, if not in the entirety of Colorado. Probably 1 through 3A, but you know how it goes. You have to you have to see how they succeed in their junior season. Where we'll also have Alex Kolzak. Uh, Kolzak is going to be one of the main factors in Timnath's success during the next two years. The quarterback slash kicker slash punter had 394 pass yards, Five touchdowns, six interceptions, which isn't the best, but I have seen worse. 981 kick kicking yards on 17 kickoffs for almost 60 yards per. 921 yards on 23 punts for 40 yards per punt. He went 4 for 4 on PATs and 2 of 4 on field goal attempts, where his longest was 27 yards. Um, I mean, Koltzak is on our watch list for kicker and punter. And I do think odds are that he'll make strides at QB this year with another offseason with his guys. Uh, then then we have uh, Brayden Pallier, who he's a good player. I've seen him play in person. He's really solid. However, none of his stats are listed on max preps. But all I can say is that he's a good defender. He, uh, If I'm remembering correctly, he's... He was tied for second most interceptions by a sophomore last year. So, I wait, no. Second most interceptions by a freshman last year. My bad. Uh, but, yeah. So, Braden Pollier is going to be a solid player. Uh, I just can't see his official stats right now. But he was good. Uh, and then we have a junior, Davis Payne, who was the leading guy receiving for Tim Neth last year. With 181 receiving yards, three touchdowns, 38 rush yards with a rushing touchdown, two tackles, an interception, a pass deflection, 243 kickoff return yards, and 25 punt return yards. And 
I mean, especially with those 240 kickoff return yards, he's going to be really solid on special teams and as wide receiver one. Uh, then we'll also have uh, sophomore Mitchell Dean Gellis, who last year he had 217 rush yards, 43 receiving yards, 218 kick return yards, 33 tackles, three of which were for loss, and five pass deflections. Uh, then we have Candon Mulderink. Uh, Mulderink had 135 rush yards, 23 receiving yards, 10 tackles, and a tackle for loss. Um, we have Tanner Mock, who... Uh, this quick side note. There are so many guys named Tanner in this state. Like, looking at these previews, I have seen so many people named Tanner. I, I, I'm not even joking. So many dudes named Tanner. But in any case, he was the Cubs sack leader last year with three and a half, along with three pass deflections, three hurries, 27 tackles, two tackles for loss, 138 receiving yards, and a receiving touchdown. Then we have Drew Sufer, who was the final player who scored for Tim for Timnath last year with 91 receiving yards, a receiving touchdown, and 25 kick return yards. Uh, we have Paul Hasselback and Dominic Giron. Uh, who had 109 kick return yards combined last year. Uh, Giron also had two interceptions for 27 yards and a pass deflection along with 11 tackles. And then we have Cade Geist, who was Timnus' number two tackler last year with 43, eight tackles for loss, three sacks, three hurries, and three forced fumbles. Three seems to be his lucky number, so we'll see how it goes. Uh, in his third year of high school, since he will be a junior, Alexander Wood had 33 tackles, three tackles for loss, half a sack, and three hurries last year. What is it with these guys in the number three? <laughs> uh, then we've got Drake Jenkins, who had 32 tackles, a tackle for loss, a sack, and a forced fumble. And then we have Evan Vaza, who's a junior. He had 28 tackles, a tackle for loss, and an interception last year. Uh, Jack Deben... G... Jack... Di Benedito, Jack, I, Jack, if you're listening, I'm so sorry. I'm Jack De Benedetto, Jack De Benedetto. I, I think I got that right. Uh, I, I feel bad. My family's Italian. I should know how to say that. Uh, but De Benedetto had a sack and three tackles last year. And then Keegan Crane, Meyer Braden, and David McClave, uh, David McClave, had 32 tackles and four tackles for a loss between them. And I honestly think that Tim Nith is in for a heck of a year. With the talent that they have, they're not going to be winless two years in a row. These guys are ripping, roaring, and ready to win. Uh, first, they're going to be heading over to Berthoud, where I'm going to be at that game, and where Alex Larson and Daniel Mahoney, both guys that are still on the team, ripped them up last year. I think Berthoud is going to be a team that's in the top of 2A next year. And though Timnath is going to be getting better as well, I think Berthoud still holds the edge here. And then Timnath's going to be going over to the Academy, where I have talked about the Academy a lot. But to quote what I said during the preview for Eaton, the Wildcats are losing all-PMC wide receiver Derek Reel, Corbin Miller, who's a DPOY finalist, MVP finalist Isaiah Elliott, and nine of their top 13 tacklers. And now, Timnath is not eaten, that is for sure, but it should be closer. 
Uh, the Academy won by 64 last year, so I don't think Timnath will win it, or at least not outright. But I think they win this maybe like 35 to 40% of the time, if I'm being generous, rather than 5% like last year. Uh, then we have Prospect Ridge, which should be a close game. Uh, I discussed earlier how Prospect Ridge isn't losing too much, but that Timnath is losing nothing. And Prospect Ridge is where Timnath started cooking last year. And so they started getting their feet under them, and I can see that going either way this year. I have Timnath winning five to six times out of ten that they play each other, so I'll say it's too close to call. Uh, then we have Wellington, which Timnath almost won this game last year, which was really friggin' exciting. And these teams kind of complement each other perfectly, and I think this will be another pretty close call. Uh, then come the University Bulldogs, where last year this was not a close game. Uh, Logan Getting is really the only guy that did damage on offense for University last year that graduated, but a lot of University's top tacklers are graduating as well. I think this will be closer, and Timnath may win next year, but I think that University takes it this year. Uh, next up, we have the Arvada Bulldogs, who are another team that I think is probably going to make the playoffs this year. Um, they should be really good. On offense, they're keeping their quarterback, Trevor Lucero, their running back, Gabriel Mungia, or Mungaya, sorry, and their Newcomer of the Year finalist, along with their, who was also their leading receiver, sophomore Jariah Ariano. On defense, they're also losing three of their top four tacklers, but they're only losing four of their top 13 in total. Uh, I think Arvada are a playoff team, and I think the Bulldogs win this more often than not. <clears throat> uh, yeah, after that, the Cubs will be traveling to Sterling to face the Tigers. Uh, Sterling's losing their quarterback, their top two rushers who combined for over 1,100 yards and 11 touchdowns, uh, their kicker, and their leading tackler. Hmm. I think that with the players that did most of the damage last year for Sterling having been that receiving core, or that senior core, sorry, Timnath might actually... Storm in and snag a win from Rob Bousmente's Tigers. Uh, after that, they will head out to Keensburg to face Weld Central. Uh, compared to some teams, the Rebels aren't losing much. Uh, they are losing their quarterback and leading receiver, but their top rusher, who did most of the damage in this matchup last year, is only a junior. Uh, the problem comes with them losing four of their top five tacklers. Uh, they're keeping their main guy, Siler Troutner, but they're losing a lot there. I think Weld Central wins this more often than not, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Cubs snatch one. And then finally, uh, we have, I don't know why Tim played an eight-game schedule last year, um, but they have their ninth game in the Brush Beat Diggers. Uh, Timnath did not play Brush last year, but Brush had a solid year. Uh, they went 1-3 in non-league play, but went 4-1 and one in their conference, only losing to University. Uh, they made of, they might have made the playoffs if either of their games against Yuma or Rifle had gone their way, uh, but Rifle was a team that made a really solid push to, I want to say, the, yeah, yeah, they made a push to the Elite Eight. So, I I do think that this is a quality team. Um, and I say that because Brush only lost to both of those teams by less than a touchdown. Yuma was a solid 1A playoff team as well. So, Brush is losing both of their quarterbacks with over 230 yards. 
their 1,100-yard, 19-touchdown rusher, Ty Griffith, their top receiver, and three of their top four tacklers. Uh, no, nobody outside of the top four tacklers had over 40 tackles as well. And so the defense will rely very heavily on Cole Curtis along with Tanner Ludgate on offense. Uh, I think Timnath can come in and grab one here as well if they have the right momentum about 45% of the time. Um, this gives the Cubs a minimum of 1-8 and eight and a maximum of 5-4. and four. Uh, Timnath are playing a lot of teams who will be senior heavy and are expected to be higher-seeded playoff teams. It doesn't help that their league has University and Arvada in it, which should both be competitive playoff squads. Uh, I mean, this is the type of team that makes me wish that... And, and here's the little mini rant that I had earlier when I was talking about... Uh, what team was it? Oh, yeah, when I was talking about Flatirons, I believe it was. Where... I wish that the 1, 2, and 3A playoff brackets had a 24-team bracket like 4A and 5A. This is a strong team that I think realistically will go 3 and 6. I think the, the worst they do in those games, PRA, Wellington, Weld Central, and Brush is 2 and 2. And in a 24-team bracket, we saw this in 4A and 5A this year. With RPI boost performances, this is a team that would benefit from playoff experience like Cherokee Trail did in 5A last year, or how Monarch or Longmont did. Yes, you're probably going to lose to a team like Basalt, or a team like Eaton in the first round, but that experience is going to be really invaluable in the long term. Now, ultimately, editorial over, that's just my opinion, but best of luck to you guys over at the Cubs. Don't take this prediction with any disrespect. I want you to prove me wrong. And I'll see you soon. And ultimately, that uh, that concludes uh, this episode of Season Previews. Which, that was a lot of work. If you've listened to the whole thing, you are a soldier. Uh, j just doing the, uh, the calculations for the length of this right now. This is at about 3 hours, 53 minutes. Um, so, thank you for listening this long. Um... So that was 16 teams. Most of our other previews are not that long. But ultimately, I'm glad that I took this on. There are so many amazing teams out there, and not just in the way that they'll be good on the field. I, I know that not everyone can win state, but what everyone can do best is put in full effort and have a good time. And of course, I'm going to get some things wrong here. As I said at the beginning, in an ideal world, every senior would get that storybook ending. I know that I wish that I got it, but that's not the way the world works. So as long as you do your best, I think that that is a success in my book. If you put in your full effort, work hard, do your best to set an example for the younger players who are coming into the program. I think that'll be the best that you can do, regardless of if you win 15 games or if you win none. But for now, regardless of if I see you this season, stay safe, work hard, and I'll see you around the block sometime. Peace.